Did you know that The Chosen isn't just a show but a publicly traded company? Did you know that Dallas Jenkins only owns 44% of The Chosen and that the other co-owners are Mormons? Why is a show that's supposed to be about the authentic Jesus co-owned by Mormons? Did you know that Dallas Jenkins has actually said time and time again that Christians and Mormons believe in the same Jesus? Why is he going on to LDS podcasts defending the LDS faith? Did you know that a lot of season 2 was shot on the LDS set in Utah, which has never been used by non-Mormons before? Did you know that VidAngel, or Angel Studios, the distribution company that The Chosen is in partnership with, is actually entirely Mormon-owned and Mormon-run? Not to mention that most of their other projects are created by and run by Mormons? Did you know that Jonathan Rumi has a great friendship with New Age promoter and activist Russell Brand, and he actually has promoted him on his social media. Why is Jonathan Rumi's inspiration for his role in playing Jesus, Jesuit priest James Martin, who is one of the biggest promoters of LGBT in the Catholic Church? Did you know that Jonathan Rumi has himself stated that he is a Knight Templar and he's currently in the process of becoming a Papal Knight? Did you know that writers Dallas Jenkins and Tyler Thompson, as well as composers Matt Nelson and Dan Hasseltine have publicly referenced and quoted and in some cases even praised Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic Universalist priest who promotes Christ consciousness? Did you know that Jonathan Rumi is actively promoting unbiblical and Catholic practices on his social media on a perpetual basis? Did you know that the Jesus of the Chosen is not the authentic Jesus? Why are Dallas Jenkins and Jonathan Rumi meeting with the Pope? All of these questions are going to be answered in this video with documents and facts, so I'd encourage you to watch the entire video. But before going any further, all I can say is that the Chosen is headed towards trouble. Before continuing, I'd like to give a copyright disclaimer. Copyright law allows people to include information and video or music from other sources for the purpose of critique, commentary, and educational purposes. And that is the sole purpose of this entire video. one is the intro song that most people have seen and heard and it's by a woman named Ruby Amanfu. This song is a very catchy song. It's very upbeat and it's very engaging. The lyrics are, oh child, come on in, jump in the water, got no trouble with the mess you've been, walk on the water. And then it just repeats and goes into the chorus, walk on the water, Walk on the wa water, oh child, walk on the water, got no trouble, walk on the water. Season 2 
the main song is Trouble by Dan Hasseltine, Matt Nelson, and even Dallas Jenkins and a few other people um, played a role in the formation of the song. Now this song is much more concerning because when you listen to the words of the song, it's almost like a warning for anybody that's about to watch the show. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter, pour me in your cup. Should have known we bring trouble, trouble gonna find you here. Trouble, trouble, trouble. And so I think there's a real problem here. And again, copyright law gives people the full permission to share either music or media of any kind for the purpose of critique, commentary, and education for nonprofit purposes. Before continuing, I'd like to just say a quick word of prayer. God, I pray that anyone who's watching this would be touched by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would remove any and all deception. God, I pray that any demonic assignments on their lives to keep them from seeing and perceiving what's in this video would be totally broken off of their lives in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would actually rebuke any kind of open doors that have come through compromise in their life and that right in this moment you would put a love for the Word of God and a love for truth in their hearts. And if you believe in Jesus, will you just pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come right now and open up my heart to whatever you want to show me through this video. I pray that you would take any allegiance that I've put into a show, into an actor, or into a movement, and that allegiance would be placed totally towards you, that I'd be allegiant only to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help me in this time to understand whatever it is you want me to understand, and may I not be distracted may I not make excuses for the things that I'm going to see. In Jesus' name, amen. I've watched every episode of The Chosen, and at some point, the Holy Spirit began to put a check in my heart that something was really wrong. And what you're going to see in this video is not a hit piece, it's not defamation or derogatory, but in fact, it's evidence showing that there really is something wrong with The Chosen. There's compromise. There's bad doctrine, and there's partnership with movements and individuals that by biblical standards believe and are preaching another gospel, which makes them antichrists. Before continuing, I'd like to read this short piece. Why speak up? Why go public? Isn't that attacking the church or being divisive? What right do I have to speak out when I don't even work for the chosen? And why not do it privately? Well, the answer has become simple, and it's twofold. The notion that the issues are related to personal grievances, and so they should be handled privately, simply doesn't apply. For one thing, most of these issues aren't quote-unquote personal grievances. They're issues of institutional corruption, habitual deception, and abuse of the true gospel message and the true authentic Jesus. For example, no one would say that those who spoke out about Bill Hybels, Carl Lentz, Ravi Zacharias, were wrongly airing a personal grievance. In fact, not saying something would have been considered enabling and a betrayal of those being hurt. 
Furthermore, these issues have been addressed privately dozens of times. So without further ado, let's begin. What is The Chosen? The winner of the K-Love for Film and Television Impact. He may be on the fourth row, but Jesus, this one jurors, The Chosen. Movie Guide Awards because The Chosen has been nominated in two categories. How do you feel being nominated tonight? Uh, it's it's uh, surreal. I, I've never been nominated for anything. How do I feel? Fun. My partner in crime, Dallas Jenkins. An independent online series about the life of Jesus has a devoted and growing following. Largest crowdfunded TV series and movie event of all time. It is the number one biggest crowdfunded project of all time. It's getting rave reviews, and it's already been translated into 50 languages and counting. The Chosen is a smash success. Now, you watch it for free from an app on your favorite device, and the production in large part is paid for by everyday people. The Chosen is a television drama based on the life of Jesus. And The Chosen is a very popular biblical TV series. Hey, have you checked out the TV series The Chosen? Well, the show made history by becoming the largest crowdfunded media project in history by raising over $20 million from fans and supporters from around the world. The Chosen is also a movement. The Chosen has become a movement that we didn't even see coming. When we decided to finance this show through crowdfunding and we ended up shattering the all-time crowdfunding record. Chosen is a multi-season show that authentically shows you Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him. What was your reaction, or I guess was there a reaction, when a bunch of Latter-day Saints from VidAngel approached you and were like, let's make this happen, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. The Latter-day Saints at VidAngel are fully aware, and we're fully aware when we first started meeting and talking about this project, that that publicly speaking, it might not necessarily be the best thing for the show if people know that Latter-day Saints are behind at least the distribution of it. And we, we love the same Jesus. Um, that's not something that you often hear. Sometimes it's like, oh, you, uh, they that believe in a different Jesus than we do. Statement. Yeah. No, it's the same. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sink or swim on that statement. And, I, and it's controversial. And I, um, I don't mind getting criticized at all for the show and I don't mind being called a blasphemer gosh for all the stuff that maybe we don't see eye to eye on that all happened that's all based on stuff that happened after Jesus was here well the whole reason we're doing it is we want to introduce the authentic Jesus to a billion people around the world that's the goal the chosen has 1 million YouTube subscribers which is a very large number of people that's a benchmark for anyone that has a YouTube channel a lot of influence it has been a huge hit. It's such an easy thing to watch. Like, it the Bible's complicated and sometimes hard to understand, but watching The Chosen has really broken down Jesus and truly who he is. We want to introduce the authentic Jesus to a billion people. And I believe the show is, is, is kind of an unvarnished look at the authentic Jesus. Now, the content itself is different, how we're showing... The Jesus from different perspectives and including these backstories and cultural content. And do you, do you look at the show as a kind of ministry? 
Well, I'm very careful about saying that, but yes, I think, um, you know, it's a career. It's, it's a, you know, it, it, is a, it is a business. We're not a nonprofit. We're not a church. We're not a connected with any formal church. The calling of my life is to make Jesus known. And um, in fact, there's a story in, in the book of Acts. Um, I believe it's the book of Acts. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get this wrong and that would kind of ruin it. But, but um, when, when Saul is walking on the road of, to Damascus and he's, has a vision from God and he's, you know, literally encounters God, he's, he's blinded. And this man named Ananias comes to, to Saul and, and, and removes the scales from his eyes. Yeah. And he, he's, his sight is restored. And that's what I believe my job is, is to remove the scales from eyes so that people can see Jesus even more clearly, even those of us who've known Jesus our whole lives. So a question that has to be raised is, can you trust Dallas Jenkins when he doesn't even know that Saul's conversion is in the book of Acts? I mean, that's very basic biblical knowledge. So the person that's in charge of creating a show about the quote-unquote authentic Jesus is struggling in the middle of an interview to know if Saul takes place and his conversion takes place in the book of Acts. So what was the inspiration for The Chosen and how did it come about? The Chosen is the result of two things. One, watching really great television and movies my whole life, yeah. but most of them, nearly all of them, not made by Christians. Uh, I've right. learned a lot of mo nearly every good storytelling technique uh, that you know was ultimately came from the Greeks and came from you know Aristotle and whatnot, but and came right. from Old Testament. But um, most of it has come from Hollywood. They are brilliant storytellers. And so I don't shun them like a lot of others, you know, but like when I was growing up, again, I was part of a strong Christian, or, you know, uh, culture that was Very rejecting. Yeah. yeah. And so right. that was a mistake. The other, the, the, the response to that was to make Christian entertainment. But when you reject Hollywood in all of its good and bad, you're rejecting mm -hmm. that includes the good. And I, I just, I always watch Jesus projects going, <laughs> all right, here we go. My hero finally portrayed Oh, he's so boring. What a lot of people don't know, I try. I usually talk about this uh, in, in interviews, but I think it's great for your church to know, is that this show was actually birthed in church, and it was actually birthed, birthed in Harvest Bible Chapel. So if you look at the tattoo on Dallas Jenkins' arm, it's a tattoo of the logo of Harvest Bible Church. Now, I want to raise the question, who gets a tattoo of their church's logo? And how much devotion does that mean that the person has to their pastor if they're willing to get a logo of their church? Uh, but when I worked there and I was doing short films and vignettes for our Good Friday services and for our Christmas services, that's where The Chosen was birthed. So just doing it from a different angle is, is that got started at Harvest and that short film that I did about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds was done for Harvest Christmas Eve service. It was intended for other Harvest Bible chapels to be able to use it as well. And that is the, what ended up being the catalyst to shattering the all-time crowdfunding record to get season one of The Chosen made. I mean, it all began in church and it all began at a Harvest Bible chapel. So it's special to be here uh, with you uh, talking about it now. What happened at Harvest Chapel? Pastor fired. Elders call his behavior harmful to the best interests of the church. McDonald has come under fire for alleged financial mismanagement and what are described as highly inappropriate recorded comments. Those comments, which included obscenity and a reference to child pornography, were broadcast on Shock Jock and Harvest Bible Chapel member Mankow Muller's 
morning radio show on Tuesday. Their strong Christian belief Exodus. led Scott Thompson and his wife Marcia to volunteer at Harvest Bible Chapel and over the course of several years donate a lot. North of $72,000. Now they want it back. When you find out that the pastor's, you know, living in a $2 million house. The pastor was James McDonald fired from the mega church in February for conduct harmful to the best interests of the church. You open up the book and you find the article and But you Thompson see started questioning the pastor's spending in 2006 when he saw McDonald's home in Inverness featured in Chicago Magazine. You drive over there and sure enough there's the house that's in the picture from the magazine article. Yep, that's the house on a private lake. McDonald's lavish lifestyle drove Thompson to leave the church. That millions of dollars potentially has been mishandled. There are online articles with damning headlines, blogs listing a litany of accusations against McDonald, church videos. This week the elders received a letter with 13 accusations against our pastor. Then the bombshell. Radio host Mancow plays an audio tape where McDonald clearly had no clue his mic was hot. The plan to uh, put child porn on a uh, computer. When you heard the tapes. <laughs> Sick. Depraved. A pastor, no less. He's already been fired. So what do you want to see the church Forensic do? audit. Uh, one specific thing. Sit up. It's straight. So you can just pay attention a little better. Just sit right up. Get your hands off the chair. Just sit right up like that. Good. All right. Don't let me see you sleeping again. Or I'll throw you right out of here. I'm not even joking. Get your hand off the back of the seat. Pay attention and clap. Stop wasting my time. You hear me? You hear me? Yes, sir, is your answer. Say yes, sir. All right, don't make that mistake again. Still, do you understand me? Sir, yes, sir! Do you understand me? Sir, yes, sir! I can't hear you! Sir, yes, sir! I've had all this stuff said to me, and I studied it myself, and I was shocked at how weak the arguments are. And, and, that's a pretty cool quote you have. And, and I don't think you'd probably be very happy if I decided to take that from you right now. Oh, good. So people who are taking from you, listen to me, people who are taking from you your confidence. Teachers aren't allowed to touch people, but pastors are. I'm feeling merciful. You can have a chocolate bar anyway. But oh, think I'm going to change my mind. It's possible I could have. I mean, the main thing I'm trying to do is keep you all on edge all the time so you never really know what's going to happen. And so you're super nervous all the time. But elders that walk around with the capital A heavy duty, I'm here to hold you accountable. Account, I'm going to make you accountable. All right? That's a control move. All right? That's a control move, and it's rooted in pride. Okay? And it's not the senior pastor's job. I'm, I'm sorry that you're not happy with your career. But it's not my job to make you feel significant by folding my full-time ministry under your 10-hour-a-week volunteer opportunity. Jacked. Do I need to spell that out? Why, why, why? That's so cold. It's so wise. And I'm releasing you to take a small portion of your church's budget, build a catapult, put it in the church parking lot, and load it regularly. I think we can shoot this one right out of our county. So when Dallas Jenkins says that the Chosen was birthed at Harvest Chapel, can anything that's birthed there be trusted? Until 
about a year later, that short film got in the hands of one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. And so we started talking, and it was this company that's known primarily for horror films. I mean, they've done films like Get Out and Insidious and Sinister and all these, and they wanted to dip their toes into the faith-based waters. They also had a partner that was also interested in faith-based filmmaking. It was WWE, the wrestling company. And so a horror film company, a wrestling company, and a church in Elgin got together and made a movie. And they put up all the money, and we got to control all the content, and God was so clearly in this. And Friday morning, the numbers came in, and it was a bomb. And in two hours, I went from being a director with a very bright future, who'd finally made it in Hollywood, to a director with no future. Because they had no incentive to keep going, they went back to doing what they did best, horror films and wrestling and, and whatnot. And so I was left with my wife at home at an extreme low point. We see here that Dallas Jenkins shows that he has horrible discernment. In his past, when he did the resurrection of Gavin Stone, he actually partnered with a horror movie company. I mean, come on. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And how can we partner ourselves with that which is totally demonic and ungodly? And the problem is that Dallas Jenkins has actually done the same thing here with The Chosen. Just instead of it being a horror company, now it's a Mormon company. So it's clear that the discernment of Dallas Jenkins cannot be trusted. I'm going to show you a post from 2020 where he shares about an encounter with Ravi Zacharias. Most people watching this probably know that after Ravi Zacharias' death, it came out that he had been an adulterer and even a rapist. So that was happening for years. What do we do about Dallas Jenkins' statement? He says, and I quote, I say this carefully, but genuinely, talking to Ravi Zacharias was the closest thing I've ever experienced to looking into the face of Jesus. End quote. That's really troubling. If that doesn't trouble you about Dallas Jenkins' discernment, I don't know what will. He thought this serial adulterer, this serial rapist, this guy that was living a totally double life, was representing the person of Jesus Christ. I think that's something that we all have to ask as we're considering that Dallas Jenkins has taken on this goal of representing the quote-unquote authentic Jesus to a billion people. Right now, RZIM, Ravi's ministry, is having to totally restructure due to the, the scandals. And it's been proven that all the allegations were true. To be victimized by unwanted sexual contact, advances, and behavior is horrendous. It's diametrically opposed to everything we believe and the value and dignity of every single person. We believe not only the women who made their allegations public, but also additional women who had not previously made public allegations against Ravi, but those whose identities and stories were uncovered during the investigation. Tragically, witnesses describe encounters including sexting, unwanted touching, spiritual abuse, and rape. We're devastated by what the investigation has shown and we're filled with sorrow for the women who are hurt by this terrible abuse. We're deeply grateful to all the courageous women and all the other witnesses who came forward in this investigation. I mean, if that's not enough, Dallas goes on to share how deluded and undiscerning he really is. He says, quote, but in his eyes and demeanor was a kindness, authenticity, strength, gentleness, and wisdom I've simply never experienced before. So I really must ask, is this person the one that should be responsible for producing and displaying the authentic Jesus to the world? And it's becoming clear that the answer is no. I'm going to continue with the post. 
Quote, After the dinner, Amanda and I couldn't speak for literally 20 minutes, because we knew if we did, we would burst into tears. I had that experience each time I connected with Ravi. Parts of my approach to and perspective on Jesus and the Gospels in The Chosen were inspired by Ravi's thoughts. In looking at Dallas Jenkins, it now becomes clear that he has no discernment. And because he has no discernment, that's why he's so ready to partner with LDS co-owners for The Chosen and to partner with distribution companies that are LDS and why he's going on different LDS podcasts defending the LDS faith. And we're gonna look at that right now. One of the most interesting things about this whole project has been my relationship with different denominational or faith traditions that I didn't have before. I've learned so much more about the LDS community than I, than I thought I knew. But that goes for like the Catholic Church as well. Like this show has been uniquely, I've never seen anything like it really, how much it has unified in response multiple faith traditions. Now, so thank you all for this honor. Thank you, Movie Guide. God bless you. Salam alaikum. Shalom alaikum. Peace be with you. And God bless each and every one of you. Notice right there three greetings and blessings for three different faiths. One for the Christian faith, one for the Jewish faith, one for the Muslim faith. So there is a real push to uniting different faiths through this show. And I come to believe that I have many brothers and sisters in the LDS faith. I, 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 I love my LDS brothers and sisters. And, um, even my family members, when we first started this relationship with Vidangel, part of it was, well, be, be careful because of the common misconceptions about about uh, our different belief systems, but also just protecting the show. Like, will the audience be bothered by the fact that there are um, LDS people involved? So even if I had significant disagreements with the LDS community, which I've learned I have fewer than I thought I did, but even with that, I was okay. I was comfortable with that because as long as they're treating the show properly, that's all that matters beautiful things about this project has been my growing brother and sisterhood with people of the LDS community that I never would have known otherwise and learning so much about um, about your your faith tradition. The stories of Jesus we do agree on and we we love the same Jesus. If 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 God did something that was different from your expectations or understanding of scripture would you question god or would you question your own interpretation of that scripture i did not know at the time <laughs> that that like when the guys at vidangel and lds were like hey man well done on that one scene that's like an lds commercial and i was like oh man please don't say that publicly because it's gonna it's gonna kill me man i was hoping that that was in there on purpose for us but i mean we'll Sorry. take what we can get Sorry. Hey, yeah, you, you got, I'm, I'm already partnered publicly with, with many LDS people. <laughs> One thing at a time, man. I can't, I, I, I'm, I, I, that's all I can give you at this point. <laughs> that's fair enough. Dallas Jenkins claims that Mormons and Christians believe in the same Jesus, but that is totally 100% false. It almost raises the question, how can Dallas Jenkins even know Jesus Christ? and make a statement like that because the Jesus of Mormonism is a totally different Jesus 
than the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus of historic and sound theological Christianity. This topic can't even be debated. It's not even up for discussion. When you look at the clear teachings of the Mormon Church and the entire history behind it, compared to the teachings of the Bible, it's clear that one is a cult and the other is the way to experience forgiveness, redemption, and salvation. Most people are unfamiliar with what Mormonism teaches, so I'm going to share some of their beliefs. I want to make it clear that all of the statements that I'm going to say about Mormonism are due to personal research and are clearly shown to be accurate from Mormon primary sources. Mormonism teaches that God the Father has a literal, physical body. Mormonism teaches that God was once a man that followed the tenets of Mormonism to become a god. Mormonism teaches that there were many gods before the God of the Bible. Mormonism teaches that all humans had pre-existence and are spirit brothers to Jesus and Lucifer. Therefore, Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers. In their official church doctrine, they teach that the Bible is errant and that the Book of Mormon is more accurate and correct than the Bible. When it comes to their view of atonement, they have a totally distorted view. They believe that the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus at Gethsemane as opposed to the cross. They also believe in the universal salvation of all people due to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, how does that last one work? Well, they believe that there are three levels of heaven. The highest level is where somebody progresses towards godhood and then receives their own planet where they can produce babies for eternity. Is there hell in Mormonism? Well, they call it outer darkness. And only those that are apostate Mormons go to outer darkness, which is insane. That means that Hitler has a better eternal experience than a person that forsakes Mormonism. Talk about a control factor and fear factor in order to keep somebody part of a cult. Mormonism teaches that all humans once had pre-existence and that the purpose of life is something called eternal progression, which is people becoming gods that eventually inhabit their own planet and be the god of their own planet. It's clear that Mormons deny the Trinity. They deny original sin. There's actually a level of universalism in Mormonism because they believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ actually brought about immortality for all people. However, Godhood, what they call exaltation, is only available to those that practice the tenets of Mormonism and get pretty much as close to perfect as possible doing so. So, clearly Mormonism believes that there are many gods. You know, and one of the biggest ways to know that something is a cult and a heresy is to look at how it views the atonement. Mormonism actually denies the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. Mormons actually believe that their current president, which in history were their current prophets, actually have infallibility when it comes to matters of doctrine. Now, the real tricky thing is that when you look at the history of Mormonism, there's been all of these crazy different things that different prophets have said. So current day Mormons will often say, well, those things we don't adhere to today, and it's convenient because, hey, the current prophet says, I guess God changed his mind. In their scriptures in Moroni 10.32, which is in the Book of Mormon, it actually says that we're supposed to come to Jesus 
And we have to pretty much rid ourselves of all ungodliness. And if we deny ourselves of all ungodliness, then the love of God might give us the strength um, that's necessary in order to reach Godhood. Um, then God's grace is sufficient after we've done all of the work. So that's a different gospel. One is the gospel of grace, which is the true gospel, and the other gospel is the gospel of works, false gospel. Uh, Brigham Young, who was the second prophet after Joseph Smith of Mormonism, actually believed that God the Father had physical sexual relations with Mary. I mean, that's some sick stuff. So when Dallas Jenkins says, oh, you know, all of our disagreements are pretty much about things after Jesus came, well, that's actually 100% false. Um, a lot of it is pre-Christ. A lot of it has to do with what they believe about the very nature of God, the very person of God, the very nature of sin and man's sinfulness, the very nature of Satan. If this doesn't get you, I'm going to say that you probably really need some spiritual help. Um, many Mormons believe that Jesus was married, and different leaders throughout um, the past 150 years of Mormonism have believed, believed that Jesus was married. And the reason why they believe that is because marriage is an essential part of progression towards godhood. So though not all Mormons will say that Jesus is married, um, and though not all the church leadership today may say that Jesus is married, it's widely held that Jesus is married. If you put much research into Mormonism and read different texts from the Book of Mormon, you'll see this high emphasis on works. Everything is works, works, works. It's God's grace is given after you try your very best. But we know that that's a false gospel. That's not what Jesus came to give us. He didn't come to give us a works-based religion. He came to offer us grace and mercy through his atonement on the cross. So no matter how you get around this, Mormonism and Christianity are totally incompatible. Different Jesus in each. Different Jesus in Mormonism, different Jesus in Christianity. So this idea that we can come together and find collective agreement over the Jesus that's portrayed in The Chosen is not acceptable. It's not true. I know some people are going to watch this and say, Mormons don't believe this. And maybe even some Mormons who may be watching saying, we don't believe that. I challenge you, look at your primary sources. The research that I've done for this is not me making it up. I've looked and researched, and this is what Mormonism teaches. This is the official doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll hear Dallas Jenkins say time and time again when he's on Mormon interviews, our differences are more about what happened after Jesus was here than before. But that itself is totally false. When you look at the founding of the Mormon Church, it was founded by Joseph Smith, who was a false prophet, a false teacher, an adulterer, a liar, and on top of that, he was a Freemason. So when you look at the full scope of Mormonism, there's no way that anyone can ever be a Mormon and believe in the Jesus of the Bible. No way whatsoever. And yes, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, was a Freemason. Joseph Smith's brother Hiram was also a Mason and a member of a lodge in Palmyra, New York. And their father, Joseph Smith Sr., was also known to be a master Mason in Canandaigua, New York, as early as 1818. While prophet and president of the church, Joseph joined the Masonic Lodge in Nauvoo, Illinois, on March 15, 1842, rising to the level of master Mason just a day later under the recognized authority of the Grand Master of Illinois. 
Masonry wasn't new to the thousands of Latter-day Saint converts already living in and around Nauvoo at the time. Although new to the faith, some members of the church, even those within the ranks of church leadership, were already Masons. Joseph Smith became a Master Mason in March 1842 and then administered the first endowment a few weeks later in May 1842. In one way or another, Freemasonry absolutely influenced Joseph as he put together the endowment. Yeah, and I think I'm seeing a lot in the LDS community, which per capita is probably the biggest fans of the chosen anywhere. When I go to Utah, really, uh, that's that's the one place where I, I I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a celebrity. Is um, <laughs> it's it's really the show has become huge in the in the LDS faith, and um, partially also because we filmed some of season two at that amazing set in Goshen, Utah, that's yeah. owned by the. LDS Church. I, I just don't think that, uh, I don't think God's gonna, you know, send me to a lake of fire and brimstone because I didn't go to the right college. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I, I was going to the wrong church. I was doing that. He is, he is, I don't want to be around a God like that. I, I mean, if he's like, you know what, you're a good person, you lived a good life, but sorry, you went to the wrong place. Uh, gee, dad, I think that's a little harsh, don't you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. And you, so missed, it's... you missed point forty-seven out of the 52 points that I had given <laughs> Therefore, you're right. Yeah. When I first saw Dallas Jenkins and Glenn Beck in this interview, I thought, this is really troubling because right now they're joking about the holiness of God. You can see them both kind of chuckling and saying, like, yeah, God, God shouldn't send you to hell for a small mistake. But the thing is, in Christian doctrine and in biblical understanding of God's very nature, one sin is enough to separate us from God. Missing one point out of the 52, like Dallas says, or 51, whatever he says, is enough to bring separation between us and God. So one sin leads to a avalanche of choices that lead to an entire life uh, departure from God's plan and will for a person's life. So because of that, this is really troubling that they're just joking about it. And when I see the cavalier attitude about the holiness of God that Dallas Jenkins portrays here, it begins to show how he's approaching the show. The interview that you recently did um, with a nice lady wanted to start this interview off by just from the bottom of my heart thanking you for how you handled that. I'm not trying to be mean, but that was literally one of the worst interviews I have ever seen. I've never seen somebody that has acted so much like a fan when they were trying to interview somebody about some really important questions. And if you watch the interview, the questions didn't get answered. Melissa actually answered a lot of the questions for Dallas Jenkins before he even got the opportunity to express what's really on his heart. So it really, sadly, was not a good interview. And we see that um, from the LDS perspective, they're happy about the way that Dallas Jenkins handled it, which uh, just goes to show that no truth was really brought to light through that interview. But I don't believe that my LDS friends or my Catholic friends or my Greek Orthodox friends or my Jewish friends or my evangelical friends, and that's the key, or myself, have the monopoly on criticizable theology or have the monopoly on a need for the savior. But LDS, Catholic, agnostic, atheist, um, all stripes of the spiritual or lack thereof rainbow. And there seems to be this perception that I'm supposed to 
take advantage of every opportunity I have to not only share my faith and not only portray the Jesus of the Gospels, but to counteract, argue with, point out the wrong. Yes, that's absolutely 100% what God expects of you, to defend the truth and to stand for the authentic Jesus. And I just don't believe, A, that that's my role. Um, I believe my role primarily is to accurately portray the authentic Jesus to a billion people around the world. That, that many LDS folks and I uh, love the same Jesus. Uh, I still believe that. I, I have a bit of a superpower in that I don't really care if, <laughs> if, if, if something that I say that I passionately believe is, is uh, criticized. They're working really hard to get this show out to the world. And uh, so if it's part of some really big con, uh, it's it's a really bad one because uh, we are all plan. yeah it would be it's it's a you're doing a really poor job of it uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so much of my relationship with the LDS uh, folks has been absolutely beautiful and we've all been unified in uh, the the Jesus that I'm portraying I, I, the notion that 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 they believe in a completely different Jesus is uh, foreign to me I, because what happens with the chosen is it unifies. Millions of people all over the world, Catholics, LDS, Evangelicals, Greek Orthodox, whatever. I just personally believe that that is happening in every faith tradition, mm. um, that there are people who believe in something false, including my own. And uh, that's, and including myself, I'm certain that I am wrong about some things. Sometimes you have to ask, Lord, is it I? I don't think I'd change a dang thing. I just want to point out that Dallas Jenkins gets really emotional here when this LDS podcaster points out that he wouldn't change a thing about the show. Dallas Jenkins bites his lip, his eyes start to water, he even puts his fingers up to his eyes. I love it. I think it's great. I think the Jesus that is portrayed is great. Um, I don't know if that is going to bring comfort to to people that are concerned about this issue or make them even more terrified that, that we've, you know, slipped things in there. But uh, I don't really honestly know. There's not a whole lot of things in the Gospels that I can think of other than perhaps certain beliefs about when Jesus took on the sin of the world, whether it was in Gethsemane or when it was on the cross. Hmm. The issue of Jesus taking on the sins of the world, that, that seems like a very small issue to me. Oh, yeah, you know, like what Jesus said, a couple of the little things that Jesus said. I mean, if you watch Dallas Jenkins and a lot of the interviews he does, he has a way of minimizing things that are of utmost importance and either minimizing them through exaggeration or minimizing them by just blowing it off. Everything that Jesus said is vitally important. The issue of when Jesus dealt with the sins of the world and how the atonement actually takes place and what the atonement represents and means is of utmost importance to the entire message of the gospel. It's a foundational pillar. So what he does here is he makes it seem like, oh, you know, Mormons have a little different view and, you know, Christians, we have a little different view. And really, it's it's just baloney to, to make that kind of um, comparison. Um, some of those types of things, like what Jesus meant by a couple different things. The Chosen has come to Utah. Yeah, the evangelical production is filming season two on the Jerusalem set belonging to the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. I actually felt a spiritual connection here. Uh, yeah, I get this text and it says, uh, Goshen is a go. And uh, yeah, I cried. I mean, I called up my, my partner and he happens to be LDS, um, one of my partners in the project. And there is a location here in Utah 
that we had wanted and thought would be amazing, but it didn't seem like it was possible. It's this unbelievable recreation of Jerusalem, but it hasn't been used by outsiders. And um, people started feeling led uh, just out of the blue. They would wake up in the morning and feel led by God to to talk about the show with other people. This has been prayed over and how this place has been built. And now we have an opportunity to make use of it. So uh, we, we were told all, no. We all know President Nelson's watching it with his family on Saturday nights. Like, I would not be <laughs> whatsoever. But anyways, yes, there's no, there's no formal endorsement. Got it. Right. And, you know, of course, we are the first non-LDS organization or people to, to ever use the set in 10 years. Um, but the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency, those are the terms that I think I'm pretty, I've learned. Yeah. Um, I set foot on that set and I felt the presence of God and I felt like um, this is right. You know, that is a very big issue that Dallas Jenkins felt like he was experiencing the presence of God on the LDS set. In the videos that you're seeing and the videos that you're going to continue to see, he praises the set and he praises it as this place of a great testament unto God and that the people that built the set were doing it unto the Lord. But we know that when we see what Mormonism is compared to biblical Christianity, this set was not built as a place of glory unto God, but truly it's a place of deception. So that's the original intent behind it from the spiritual standpoint. This place is not a place of God's presence, a place of glorifying Jesus. It's a place to create productions, to pull people into Mormonism. And by the biblical definition of another gospel, Mormonism will lead people to hell. But I really felt like God was laying it on my heart, like lives are going to be impacted because of what you do here. And this is going to be used for a purpose that's going to impact the world. And I didn't know... You know, you never know when you hear, when you, or at least when you believe you're hearing from the Lord, if it's you or it's your brain or if it's, you know, the, what you ate that morning or if it's God. But I, I just really felt strongly. And so we were told no. I was like, wow, okay, I guess I was wrong. That wouldn't be the first time. And there was a gentleman who is not a leader in the church, but who's very involved in the LDS church, who was woken up at like five in the morning and just felt like God was like a sledgehammer saying, call this elder who's in the, in the twelve and tell him, like, talk to him about The Chosen. If the guy that Dallas Jenkins is talking about could actually hear God, God would be saying with a sledgehammer, leave the Mormon church. So he calls him up, and the guy said, you, you know, you really need to watch The Chosen, really need to check this project out. And he goes, oh, I actually have that DVD on my desk right now, and I'm, I'm walking out of my office at, right now to leave for the month, and I'll just take this DVD with me. Someone had given him the DVD, so he took it with him. Apparently, he's, he's quite advanced in years, uh, I'll say. That and a bit, but still, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't narrow it down. So, but uh, <laughs> he binge watched the entire first season in five hours. He called up a couple other elders and said, "We need to, we need to be involved in this somehow. Like, we need to, like, I, I, from what I've heard, there's they want to use the set. We we need to listen. We need to hear them out. This is again. This is during the month of July. So I was granted an audience with two of the top leaders in the church." And I just said right off the bat, I mean, this is what was so great about the conversation is I just said, look, I'm, I'm an evangelical. I don't like, cause a few people who heard that I was going to get a chance to talk were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you have this opportunity. And I just said to them right off the bat, I said, look, I don't, 
you know, you can only go downhill from here because everything I've heard about you is too good to be believed. So I'm sure that you can't live up to what everyone has said about you. And as an evangelical, I, I don't, I don't know enough anyway. So I hope that's okay. And I mean, they were just so great and so gracious and funny and appreciated some of my, I don't know if it's authenticity, if that's what you want to say, but my, my nature, I guess. And we just had a really great conversation and prayed together and connected. And uh, they just, I think they just felt uh, good about it and recommended it to the first presidency. And we got, we got a yes the very next day. But I know that the, in the leadership that I, did, I do believe, or I know that they felt comfortable with our hearts and our mission and that we have the same mission, which is to make the authentic Jesus known to the world. And this show, I believe they believed is worthy of um, having the word spread about it and worthy. Of, and it is a testament to service to God. I mean, the people who built that set, the people who volunteered for it, the designers, um, the, the people who steward it uh, are doing it for the glory of God. And I feel fortunate and grateful to be a part of it. And now this place is going to be 12 stones. This place is going to be an example for when people see a place like this or when they see season two and potentially future seasons in the future, we'll be able to point to how God was so faithful. And you had a big hand in that. You prayed, <laughs> and this is what happened. Actor Dallas Jenkins were among the crowd at the Pope's general audience in Paul VI Hall. Rumi plays Jesus Christ in The Chosen, a multi-season TV series directed by Jenkins. When it was their turn to greet the Pope, Rumi asked Pope Francis to bless some rosaries. Then the actor assured him of his prayers. A smile materialized on the Pope's face when Rumi told him of his role as Jesus in The Chosen. Then the series director Dallas Jenkins introduced himself, and the Pope couldn't hold back his sense of humor. No, 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 no. But I am Protestant, but I am making a show for everyone who loves Jesus. Dallas Jenkins and Jonathan Rumi were invited to Rome to have a semi-private meeting with the Pope. Now, something that I think is extremely concerning is that the Pope actually had a Caiaphas moment. And if you don't know what a Caiaphas moment is, it's taken from the part in the Bible where Caiaphas says it would be better for one man to die than the nation to be destroyed. And what many biblical scholars see is that Caiaphas, though he was not a godly, righteous person because he was rejecting Jesus Christ, he was rejecting the calling of God to believe in the Messiah, the Holy Spirit in that moment actually spoke truth through him. And so what ends up happening is even though the Pope is part of a system and an institution that's totally not of God and totally uh, separating people from God through religion and tradition, something really crazy to think is that the Pope said Dallas Jenkins is Judas. He's joking with them and you know everybody's trying to make light of it, but that's a pretty big deal that you have the opportunity to meet the Pope 
and uh, even though I don't believe the Pope has any kind of prophetic ability from, from God, uh, in that moment he spoke a true word that what's happening here with the Chosen is really a Judas moment in Dallas Jenkins' life because it's not the authentic Jesus that's being portrayed. And you're going to see throughout this entire video through the yoking together with Mormons in the distribution company and even the ownership of the show, um, all the way to the uniting of different faiths that are not Christian. You'll even see in one of the Mormon podcasts that Dallas Jenkins was on, the host is joking saying, sometimes you just have to say, Lord, is it I? Which is exactly what Judas said. Well, here I am. Front row, waiting for the Pope. Literally, uh, a childhood dream come true. Wow. And, uh, no words. Like, this is a, a big deal because, it, to me, for me, it represents two things that are important. One is the branching out of the show to the world. Mm -hmm. And then another one is the branching out of the show to people and traditions that I wasn't part of. And so it shows that the walls are coming down. I've never, been, I've been in Christian media for a long time. I've never been, I've never seen a project that united the faith tradition. So it's a, it's a cool experience. I'm really excited. And this is the general assembly. So this is really fascinating. For me, as a Protestant, I don't have a whole lot of passion for something like this, but it's certainly a, an amazing opportunity and represents the growth of this show around the world. When we were in line, people from all over the world were recognizing us and thanking us for the show. And uh, you're a big part of that. So the opportunity for other faith traditions to experience the show is not something that I necessarily planned for, uh, but it's, <laughs> I didn't think I'd, I'd become, uh, you know, have an opportunity here to, to meet the Pope and to get to experience this amazing city, Rome. But it's certainly quite an honor and something that represents just how far the Chosen is reaching. While Jonathan Rumi was in Rome, he visited the body of Padre Pio. And here he talks about his admiration for this man. He talks about how he was a powerful person of the 20th century. And he says that he's even had personal interactions with him. He then ends the post encouraging people to pray to Padre Pio. Ahora no me puedo tirar 
I'm a TV actor in uh, the United States, and I play Jesus in a TV show called The Chosen. Yeah, and now it's be being released worldwide. Uh, and there's over 200 million episodes that have been watched in the series. Because I'm playing Jesus, I think. Yeah, and then because I love the Pope. Um, and this was a, a huge honor to be able to uh, to be here. Once we we did the first season of The Chosen, I said to Dallas Jenkins, the creator of the show, I said, "I'm going to get this show in front of the Pope." And he's like, "In front of the Pope?" I said, "Yeah. What do you think of that?" Good luck. I said. Eh. And then about a year, two years ago, I was being interviewed by a journalist for, uh, I think it was National Catholic Register. And uh, yeah, give it up. And um, I told her this in the interview. And she said, you, you want the pup to see the show? I said, yeah, I think, he'd, I think he'd like it. I think he'd dig it. She's like, huh, okay, let me see what I can do. I said, what? She's like, yeah, let me see what I can do. Okay. And then a year later, she's like, so I've been talking to the Vatican about, about the, you meeting the Pope. I said, get out of here. Come on. She said, no, I, they're interested. About eight months ago, she says to me, so it's going to happen this summer. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no. You're going to have a semi-private audience with Pope Francis. And I said, okay. You know, and like in my mind, I'm like, okay, sure. I, I believe it when I see it. But she's like, you need to get some letters of recommendation from like some of the famous bishops you know, like Bishop Barron. You guys know Bishop Barron? <laughs> Bishop Barron's a rock star. Uh, and so I did. I got a couple of letters. They sent it out. And then uh, I think it was in June. They gave me the audience for uh, August 11th. And then we met him. And it was amazing. And he was funny. Yeah. At one point, Dallas and I were, were standing there. And Dallas is telling him he's the creator of the show about Jesus that I'm in after I had introduced myself to the Pope. And, and um, Pope says, to the, looking straight at Dallas, he's like, so he's Jesus? He said, yeah. And you're Judas? He said, yeah, no, 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 not Judas, not Judas. Yeah. So, uh, and that would really tickle Dallas. He just, he really had a great experience meeting, meeting him and didn't expect him to be so witty and warm. And, and he's, he's everything you'd think he'd be. He's, he's pastoral, you know? So. That's amazing. On the Security and Exchange Commission website, all publicly traded companies have to show information pertaining to the internal workings of the company. We see here the three executive officers. First, Daryl Eves is the CEO of The Chosen. Daryl Eves, a Mormon, is the CEO of The Chosen. Next, we have Dallas Jenkins, who's the chief creative officer. And after that, we have Adam Swerdlow, who is the chief operations officer. Now, the issue is that Dallas Jenkins is the only one there that's professing biblical faith in Jesus Christ. Daryl Eves is a Mormon, and Adam Swerlow is a non-believer. He's irreligious. 
so I have a lot of good friends who we just agree not to talk about religion or politics because we care about each other so deeply, but we're so divided on those issues that we cannot see past them, and we'll go in circles and circles and circles arguing with each other. So we've agreed just not to talk about those things with each other in the in the hopes of just uh, you know maintaining our relationship and just loving each other for who we are, not what we believe in. We. Uh, you know, we didn't agree on religion at all. I grew up uh, very non-religious. My mom was Roman Catholic, and she um, she really didn't like the, the how how um, I don't want to say crazy, but how strict that religion was. And so she didn't uh, you know require me or my sister to grow up with any religion. I also have a Jewish part of me, my my father's side, and I grew up more you know uh, just spiritual than anything. And Shailene is very Christian. Uh, well, compared to me at the very least. And we, you know, I tried to, you know, to, I, I kind of like forced my beliefs on her and, and she never did that to me. And it became an area of conflict for us. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I cared so much about her. It didn't matter what she believed in. And I just want to support her. That's all that matters to me is supporting my wife. Just being open to. Well, I think that there's something so beautiful about all religions. You know, every religion has something beautiful to learn about. And I think the common denominator is love in every religion. So I think that's beautiful. And I think that that's what all religion, you know, um, stands for is um, treating people um, with love because God is love. And whatever you believe in, I'm sure that that's the same um concept with any religion is love and i think that's what the world needs most right now it is love um, regardless of what you believe in. yeah regardless of what and you believe in guess what there are great people who believe in god there's great people who don't believe in god mm -hmm. and there's bad people that believe in god and there's bad people who don't believe in god but mm -hmm. i think everybody it's learning to love everybody for who they are what they, they represent are. and what they believe in right who owns the chosen next we're going to look at who owns the shares that make up the company, The Chosen. First, we have Dallas Jenkins, who owns 44%. Next, we have Daryl Eaves, who owns 25%. Next, we have Ricky Ray Butler, who owns 19%. Throughout this video, we're gonna look at the Facebook profiles of some of the people we mentioned, and we're gonna look at what they like, because what you like says a lot about uh, who you are as a person. Now we're going to look at Daryl Eaves, one of the executive producers and co-owners of The Chosen. He's made a name for himself by helping YouTubers grow their channels, and he himself has a channel of 680,000 subscribers. Yeah, so one of the big things for us is we didn't want to do the same thing that's been done for year after years after years, which is a white Jesus <laughs> that speaks King, you know, King's English. Because we wanted to showcase humanity uh, for its good, its bad, and everything in between, because that's what we can relate with. Yeah, I think for us, uh, there's a lot of similarities and parallels that happened in first century um, and what's happening now. And what I love about season two that we just released um, is that's when Jesus started his ministry and he doesn't go to Israel to start his ministry he actually goes to uh, the enemies of Israel which was Samaria and this our goal is to hit 1 billion people um, throughout the world to watch the show I understand that your sister Ellie has been serving a Mormon mission for the last 18 months and she hasn't been able to watch television for 18 months 
let me tell you something. In my line of work, that right there is not godly. You are hereby called to serve as a missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have been recommended as one worthy to represent the Lord as a minister of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be an official representative of the church as... Hey guys, Daryl Eves here with my lovely wife. Hello. And we are excited because Ellie's has her call. <laughs> and we had to go outside with the with the thunder and lightning, of course. But um, we got quite a few people here. Everybody say hello. Oh, oh wow. I'm so very grateful for everyone you guys to be here, and you guys have all helped me so much to just be the person who I am today, and to be drawn towards the light of Christ and I'm so grateful that I could have the opportunity to go out wherever in the world that Heavenly Father wants me to go and share this wonderful knowledge that we have about how much our Savior and Heavenly Father loves us and how we can find our way to go back to Him and have eternal happiness and I love you guys. Dear Sister Eves, you are hereby called to serve as a missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You are hereby assigned to labor in the North Carolina Charlotte Mission. <laughs> On Daryl Eves' Facebook, he, he promotes Mormonism very often. He's always posting photos of churches that he's visiting. I think it's very disturbing that Daryl Eves, the CEO of The Chosen, is on Facebook promoting photos of false gods and idols from Singapore. This young man is someone that Daryl Eves helped to convert to Mormonism and he was a big name YouTube star in Poland. If you go on his Facebook you see that there's photos and videos of his children's missionary endeavors as Mormon missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Neil Harmon and Jeffrey Harmon are the co-owners of VidAngel, which is now Angel Studios. The adults on the left of Dallas Jenkins are Jeffrey Harmon and his wife. In this photo you have Dallas Jenkins and then Neil Harmon and his wife on the right. And then in the back right is Daryl Eve, so Dallas Jenkins is fellowshipping with all of these different Mormons. On Daryl Eve's website he promotes the Book of Mormon and also a book called Jesus the Christ by one of the former Mormon prophets. These are some photos of the young man from Poland that Daryl Eves and some of the Harmon brothers as well as Ricky Ray Butler were able to lead into Mormonism, both him and his wife.
Who is Ricky Ray Butler, one of the Mormon co-owners of The Chosen? So one of the very important things to understand is that one of the executive producers, Ricky Ray Butler, has known the Harmon brothers for a very long time. They have past collaboration on projects together. This is in reference to a nativity project that they worked on in Utah, concocted by a team of producers including Jeff Taylor, Jeffrey Harmon, Daniel Harmon, Ricky Ray Butler, Mike Evans, and Daryl Eves. This is Ricky Ray Butler's Facebook page, and he made a donation to give LDS LGBTQ youth a home. For Pride Month, he changed his company's logo to celebrate LGBTQ on his business Facebook page. It says, Ben Group stands in solidarity with our LGBTQ plus community and is excited to show our support today and beyond. Happy Pride Month. And he goes on to say, in celebration of this resilient community, our Ben team is rolling out several activations to recognize the joy, love, and allyship of our Ben family. To kick it off, we're debuting our new Ben Pride logo above. These are some of the things that he likes on his Facebook. Here is the last president and prophet of the LDS Church. And to top it all off, the International Hindu Krishna Cult page. Uh, that that there, it's not a coincidence that this show has unified um, a lot of fans from different faith traditions who are really being drawn to the authentic Jesus. And as an evangelical, I'm I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a nice it's a nice opportunity to be a little bit. It's almost like a secret agent. I'm 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 infiltrating some of these other communities uh, in a way that uh, that hasn't been done before. These are some articles from a Mormon news organization. Now, after you get that connection and after you feel more connected to Christ and after you feel like instead of treating him like a, a, a person or a figure on a throne that you have to be granted access to and you have to speak of him in these awestruck words and you have to, you know, everything feels more formal. Every day, at least 50 people call me a heretic or a blasphemer from someone. I mean, heck, even just doing interviews in, in LDS circles mm -hmm. is going to get criticism in the evangelical world. Great. But I love the idea that you're acknowledging the fact that, you know, the middle is an interfaith show. I don't, I don't care what your religious affiliation is, even if you're not a Christian, Jews, Muslim, there's something that you can just appreciate in, in, in watching the life of Jesus play out and the way you've depicted it on the film. So the invitation is for all. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I've watched plenty of shows and yes. movies that I didn't believe the- Right, the, the premise of- I watch Harry Potter going, I believe <laughs> that there's actually this group of, of uh, wizards and stuff, but you still enjoy the right. show uh, as it is. And so I- Right. Sometimes when people say on social media about the show, like, oh, these are all just fairy tales. I'm like, well, then watch it like you did Lord of the Rings. You right, know, like yeah, you're totally into Harry Potter and Lord yeah, of the yeah, Rings. just so. enjoy it. You know. Star Wars, right? We don't yeah. even want to go there, right, right. right? You're fine with Yoda, but not Jesus, right. okay. Right, so, exactly. So, um, <laughs> say, guys, let's never lose sight of this, the unity that we have, the the joy of the art. You know, we're, we're doing it for the, the 
the, the, the project. You know, we're not doing it for the audience, even though we want the audience to love it, of course. But when we're in this moment, when we're doing a scene, we're doing it because we want it to be a great scene. And uh, we all have different motivations. I mean, my motivation ultimately is to bring the authentic Jesus to the world. That's not necessarily all of their motivations. Told me that some people or many people have said that it's almost like a, a reintroduction to Jesus. I have read or heard some form of, I feel like I'm getting to know Jesus for the first time or all over again or in a new way tens of thousands of times. Um, and it's, it's no doubt more than that. I just haven't read. I believe if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be changed and impacted in the same way they were. We see this idea that Dallas Jenkins proposes time and time again, that if you were to see Jesus through the eyes of those that met him, you can have the same kind of relationship with him that they did. Now, I've often thought about this and thought there's just something wrong with this. If we were to take this explanation and put it into the framework of a married couple, the entire explanation that Dallas Jenkins gives falls apart. For example, if you have a husband and a wife, and I were to say, if somebody from outside that marriage can see the husband through the eyes of the wife, they could have the same encounters and the same relationship that that wife has with her husband. And that's totally false. That wife had to come into relationship with her husband on her own. She had to build a relationship with her husband through experiences. And the same thing really applies to anybody that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. We can't actually live off somebody else's relationship with God. We have to come into relationship with Jesus Christ based on a personal choice. And then our relationship begins to build and to grow. It doesn't come through watching a TV show about disciples. It doesn't come through even reading books by great Christian authors. It, it really comes by the Holy Spirit of God through a choice that we make to surrender and let Jesus Christ be the Lord of our lives. And I come to believe that I have many brothers and sisters in the LDS faith. I, 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 I love my LDS brothers and sisters. In this next portion, we're going to look at Jonathan Rumi and his connection with Russell Brand, the New Age activist and promoter of Christ Consciousness, Transcendental Meditation, a lot of different things that are totally not of God. On Jonathan Rumi's Instagram, he shared that he went to a Transcendental Meditation seminar done by David Lynch, who's a big-time Hollywood guy that promotes uh, Transcendental Meditation, and also Russell Brand and another gentleman. And he went there and, you know, he's promoting it openly on his Instagram. I get caught up in desire, lust, greed, self-centeredness, all these kind of defects of character. I need to transcend it. It's consciousness itself, in my case, that needs to grow to liberate me from it. And I suppose this is where, as you were saying to me earlier today, Bob, service becomes necessary. It's not enough to, oh, look, I sit on my own and I meditate and now I'm loving. I have to find ways of being useful, be, being loving, love as an act, love as an action. David, do you have a comment on that? I love what Russell said. I love what Russell said. Now this is really disturbing. On his Instagram, Jonathan Rumi says, fantastic night of do-gooding, meditative appreciation, and transcendental inebriation. And so he's glorifying and praising David Lynch and Russell Brand, and they're promoting transcendental meditation, which is a totally new age, anti-Christian belief and practice.
This is the David Lynch Foundation full of different things that promote meditation and meditative practices. These are some photos from the event. We see that Jonathan Rumi and Russell Brand have a close connection. You don't put your head to another person's head without being in agreement with them about a lot of things. As we examine the posts of Jonathan Rumi, it becomes clear that there's something really off. And I'm going to just read this to you. It says, we are all God's children. We are all one human family. We are all divinely interconnected. Melanin ratio, a footnote in the earthly margins of our celestial essence as a result of the miracle of our design diversity. Well, that's not biblical truth. So the issue is the guy playing Jesus is promoting ideas and philosophies that are not biblical, that are not true. Here we see Jonathan Rumi promoting a video that Russell Brand did on prayer. Now I'm going to show you some of the video and you're going to see just how off base and crazy Russell Brand's statements are. But Jonathan Rumi says, I love how eloquently and magically my brother Russell Brand addressed the global Googling of prayer today. Check out his thoughts on the matter on his page. Now what you're about to see is filled with blasphemy and statements that are totally counter to what the Bible says about God and the nature of God. Then we're going to look at who Russell Brand is and see why it's a problem that he and Jonathan Rumi are buddy-buddy. We are looking for a sacred experience. What do you mean sacred, Russell? In the dictionary it tells you that sacred means holy, divine, the presence of God. What I think that means is the presence of the limitless that is always, by its nature, present in the limited bandwidth of our physical sense-based experience here on Earth, which on some level we know is not enough, and now we've been blessed to me that we need to find a way to pray together. Now, you might not want to pray because, excuse me, mate, you've had... Difficult experience of religion, or you say, Hey man, I don't like religion. It's trying to tell me how to think. Arinkadidink. It ain't trying to tell you how to think. You how to think. You think rationalism, materialism aren't telling you how to think. You think you're not trapped in some sort of cyber pinball, neurological machine, information synaptically rattling around just to keep you trapped, trapped within the sounds of commercials bombarding your ears for years and years continually. Well, let me tell you, if you think that you're free, the only way that you're free is your freedom to see that there's something that be beyond what you can normally see. And the only way we can access this is through prayer. So, within you, within the timeless, within you, beyond the box of space and time. I've been on my own a long time now. All my relationships are starting to go very strange, including this one. God! Is there a God? Where are you, God? I believe in God. I believe God to be the limitless consciousness of which my own tiny little consciousness is but a part. David Lynch, God love him, said that the Sanskrit form is one line and the characters come from the one line. This 
is the, uh, what does he call it? The unified field and all forms come from the unified field. Everything coming from oneness. I believe, I believe that as they go deeper, deeper into the microscopic world, they will discover, hold on a minute, everything is one. It's all interconnected. It's all just one thing vibrating at different speeds or some sort of weird holographic revelation that we are bursting through a membrane into this frequency. In the book of Job, when uh, the higher self, the Yahweh, challenges the lower self, Job, the higher self, Yahweh, the God self, tests the flesh self to see if it can contact, connect with some deeper principles. I got this tattoo done recently of Jesus Christ, the symbol of the resurrection, the possibility for divine God consciousness to be expressed through mankind. Whether or not you identify as a Christian, meaning you believe that Christ is the son of God and that the Christian or one particular branch of the Christian theology is the answer to the problem of being alive and dying and that Christ rose again. You know, for me, that's a, not where I go with religion, because you'll notice just on this arm is Ganesh from the Vedic philosophy. And over here, there's a Sikh symbol and just over here that's West Ham United <laughs> so yes I love Jesus Christ yes I love Ganesh and Krishna and all of the prophets because for me it seems that the prophets all convey one message we are here we are going to die love is the most important thing separateness is an illusion we are all one plus my own personal experience with psychedelics and my own personal experience with transcendental meditation and the conclusion drawn from them that there is no point in anything except kindness and service. If religion is something believed in to the exclusion of other religions or in opposition to other religions, that's, um, that's something that's not for me. My approach to them is that they are all true. I mean, look at how this is total new age, total rejection of the truth of the gospel, total rejection of the Bible. In fact, what Russell Brand does is he tries to implement it and take it in and use it to create his own understanding and his own religion. Total self-idolatry at the end of the day. A very important question to ask is what is the role that Russell Brand's theology and spiritual understanding has had on Jonathan Rumi's understanding and spirituality and theology. Well, if that wasn't concerning enough, now we're gonna look at Jonathan Rumi's connection with James Martin, a Jesuit priest who's promoting LGBT all throughout the Catholic Church here in America. In fact, later on I'm gonna show you Jonathan Rumi's Amazon book page where people can show their favorite books. And the top two books that he recommends and that are his favorites are actually by James Martin, this LGBT promoting Jesuit priest. Hi, I'm Father Jim Martin. I'm a Jesuit priest, editor at large at America Media and author of Building a Bridge. I'm not challenging church teaching on same-sex marriage, same-sex relations, or anything else for that matter. And if I've said, done, or written anything that seemed to imply otherwise, that wasn't my intent. Big green eye. What? Uh, Monsters? Yes, is the author of the wildly controversial book. It focuses on uniting the LGBT Catholic community and the church. It's called Building a Bridge. Please welcome Father James Martin. Hi, Father. 
has the new pope changed sort of the direction or outlook at the LGBT community and everybody, really? Yeah, a ton. Uh, his five most famous words are, who am I to judge? Uh, and he was referring to first gay priests and then gay people, he said in general. And uh, that really has helped LGBT people, uh, you know, who are already part of the church, feel more comfortable in the church. It's taken so long. Uh, the, the church for so long has, has not been open to this. Why has it taken so long? Well, I mean, look at our society. I mean, even American society has taken a long time to kind of understand LGBT people in the church. Uh, you know, I mean, the church, as they say, uh, thinks in centuries, not minutes. And so it takes a while for them to come around. But I really think Pope Francis, who has, you know, said, who am I to judge? He's used the word gay. He has gay friends, really has set the tone. And, um, and guess what? LGBT issues are life issues, right? They're life issues that should matter to the church because the church is pro-life. In terms of reading things in context, I like to read this at, at uh, talks. Dear Dr. Laura, thank you so much for doing so much for educating people regarding God's law. I've learned a great deal from your show, and I try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind them that Leviticus 18.22 clearly states it to be an abomination. End of debate. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some other elements of God's law and how to follow them. When I burn a bull on the altar of sacrifice, then it now creates a pleasing odor for the Lord, Leviticus 1.9. The problem is my neighbors. They claim the odor is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly states he must be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? <laughs> or should I ask the police to do it? Most of my male friends get their hairs trimmed, including the hair around their temples, even though this is expressly forbidden by Leviticus 19.27. How should they die? <laughs> and this is my favorite. Now, you know, we're laughing. It's good to laugh because people use the homosexuality texts in that way without any historical context. My uncle has a farm. He violates Leviticus 19.19 by planting two different crops in the same field. As does his, you know, with the homosexuality things, they come from Leviticus. As does his wife, by wearing garments made of two different kinds of thread, cotton and polyester. <laughs> he also curses and blasphemes. Is it really necessary that, as Leviticus 24.10-16 says, we have to go to the, whole tr the trouble of getting the whole town together to stone them? Couldn't we just, as Leviticus 20.14 says, burn them to death at a private family affair <laughs> like we do who people who sleep with their in-laws? <laughs> I know that you have studied these things extensively and thus enjoy considerable expertise, so I am confident you can help. Thank you again for reminding us that God's word is eternal and unchanging. So that's context. I think we need context. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm not challenging church teaching on same-sex marriage, same-sex relations, or anything else for that matter. 
And if I've said, done, or written anything that seemed to imply otherwise, that wasn't my intent. You don't say no. Yeah. You know, but by the same token, when he was asked a couple years ago, you know, about gay priests, he said, who am I to judge? That original line was actually about gay priests, so. Recently, I had 30 minutes with Pope Francis. And he used all 30 of those to advocate for LGBT people. In the Apostolic Palace in the library is where he meets diplomats and heads of state. And this is the public way uh, that the Vatican has of sending a signal of support for you. And then I can say that meeting him was really a highlight of my life. Let's just say, I can't share too many of the details, very encouraging. And I left walking on air. I was also happy for the LGBT community. I was just bringing the voices of LGBT people into that room uh, with me, and that's what I felt like my, my mission was. Pope Francis is speaking out again in support of gay people. Reaching out to gay Catholics in a way no pope has ever done before. The pope saying, quote, if someone is gay and he searches for the Lord and has good will, who am I to judge? It is changing things. I'm not challenging church teaching on same-sex marriage, same-sex relations, or anything else for that matter. And if I've said, done, or written anything that seemed to imply otherwise, that wasn't my intent. And right here we have James Martin defending Pete Buttigieg, who was the guy that was running for president. He says that gay is the way that God made some people. He goes on to say that certain things in the Bible shouldn't be taken literally, and he, he makes a case why gay marriage is okay. Respect also means acknowledging that LGBT Catholics bring unique gifts to the church, both as individuals and as communities. These gifts build up the church in special ways. As St. Paul wrote when he compared the people of God to a human body, right? We need the eye, the foot, the hand. By the way, that's from a group called Ignatian Q. So notice that Jonathan Remy says in this post, pretty awesome mention by a fantastic author whose book I use as a resource when playing Jesus. Think of that. Jonathan Rumi is looking to this priest as a resource for demonstrating and portraying Jesus on The Chosen. And that should be something that everyone that watches The Chosen or that's a fan of The Chosen should be very, very concerned about. Ooh. That goes out to all the ladies who unfollowed me last night <laughs> as a result of my post from yesterday. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> oh, I say uh, thank you for uh, everyone that commented, especially the people that, especially the people that decided to um, unfollow me as a, re as a uh, response to my participation in a, uh, a conversation that has not taken place yet uh, with Father Jim Martin that I am so looking forward to. JesuitRetreat.org as uh, Father Martin and I talk about Jesus. Father Jim is a, is a controversial figure, um, but he's somebody that uh, his work has influenced my work. And, uh, and so when I was asked to sit down to 
talk about the work, uh, I jumped at the chance. Party's over, guys. True colors. Now you'll see the real me. Ah. Oh, apparently um, I'm falling into this lure of the devil. Lure of the devil. Got me. Guilty as charged. So, yeah. Uh, what else? Um, this is a post that Jonathan Remy posted with James Martin. He says, when one of your favorite authors on one of your favorite subjects wants a photo of you, quote unquote, Jesus with his book. And the talk was on building a bridge with the LGBT community. So what's happening here is Jonathan Rumi is actually being used to pull people into Catholicism. The guy playing Jesus in The Chosen doesn't believe what the Bible says about LGBT issues. He doesn't believe that homosexuality is a sin and that people need to repent of it or be freed from it. So this is very dangerous, what's happening behind the scenes in The Chosen. It's a little mixture that makes everything very dangerous. And this is more than a little mixture. A little poison can poison a well. And I have to say, with everything that I'm showing you, it's clear that there's a lot of poison to poison the well. This other post, he says, there's still time to join in the conversation I'll be having tonight with Father James Martin, author of one of my favorite books, Jesus of Pilgrimage, to talk about the greatest person to walk the earth. He put, duh, earth, Jesus. There will also be meditations and reflections on scenes from The Chosen, so fans of the show will really enjoy the evening. Register online, JesuitRetreat.org. Hope you can join us. So Jonathan Remy is being used to pull people into false belief. He's being used to pull people towards Catholicism. And one of the things that's happening in the background is ecumenism. People are saying, you know, I really love the chosen and I really love the way that Jesus is portrayed. I really love the way that Jonathan portrays Jesus. But the issue is that it's totally mixed with things that aren't of God. If you go to Rumi's Facebook page, you'll see that he's pinned his favorite Amazon books onto the top of the page. And we're going to look at some of those favorite books. Here we have The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything by James Martin. The next book, Jesus, A Pilgrimage by James Martin. So he's promoting James Martin's books, which means that he agrees with his philosophy and theology. If you look at the rest of the books, most of them are Catholic books, not all of them, but a lot of them are promoting saints. A lot of them are promoting Padre Pio. We see Joel Osteen coming up. A lot of Padre Pio books. clearly shows is that he's going to the wrong well to get his inspiration for playing Jesus. During this evening of prayer and conversation, the best-selling author, Father James Martin, spoke of his faith journey. Similarly, Jonathan Rumi, the actor who portrays Jesus in the popular internet television series, The Chosen, reflected on his own religious roots. You can pray this guided reflection with your eyes opened or closed. Choose what's most helpful. 
If you choose to keep your eyes open, fix them on the image on the screen or a fixed point in your room. But try to avoid looking around the room. Scully got a brother. Yeah, that's his brother, Maury. In it. Yeah, that's right. Younger brother. Sound a bit older. Hey, how are you? I mean, uh, you know, hey, what do you think? Is it good? Right. Hey, hey, good. Right. Scully, Maury, and Mary. That's Mary there, our lady of Guadalupe. So, dynamic duo, yeah? In a way. Cool. So that's that. We've, we've developed a trust in each other that uh, uh, I, th I feel like we're on the same... Like, it's not a marriage, but it's like, I feel like there's like a God, we, we, we both know that God is telling this story, and mm -hmm. we're just trying to find it. Yeah. Before Jonathan Rumi was ever known on The Chosen, he was just a low-level actor that was only getting small appearances on primetime television. It was an epic performance. Man, you guys have better players, have better results. Man, we want to turn the page, talk about the future, yours and ours. This is uh, my brother, MK. He's also the owner of Team Splice. I want to talk about an acquisition. Hey, man, nobody's gonna own me. All right, let's call it an investment, huh? At a significant valuation. Do I have to listen to Nickelback? I don't give a fuck if you listen to Sarah McLachlan. Don't stress, it's gonna be your show. I overheard Grace blame Ella for, for getting her fired. Serge, how long will this take? I'm up against a deadline to finish my design. You'll be here as long as it takes to make Matilda happy. The mantra we all live by. Posez votre arme! Police! Posez votre arme! Could I have your license and registration, sir? Yeah. Sir, are you aware that your driver's license expired more than a year ago? Are you sure? Are you writing a ticket already? Can you tell me your name? Yes, I can. Oh, this is a test. Right then, my name's Christian. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Pretty nasty infection there, Christian. Is that why you came in today? Christian, hey, you with me? Mm -hmm. Here we have a post by Jonathan Rumi where he shares about his appreciation for having the opportunity to be an actor on the HBO show Ballers. Now, the problem is that this show is filled with a lot of ungodliness. It's filled with a lot of profanity and it's filled with a lot of sex and there's nudity in it. See, the issue is if someone's seeking to portray Jesus accurately, they're going to have to live a Christian life, and their life is going to have to be immersed in godly things. So participating in a show that promotes everything ungodly is totally wrong for somebody seeking to portray Jesus. Early on in his career, he played the role of a meth addict in a play called Train Spotting. He did voiceover work for different video games, but one of the things that's really interesting is that he was part of a bar band for several years as well. Uh, I was with a band for about three and a half, four years. You know, it's a, it's not an easy lifestyle, as many of your listeners, I'm sure, who have been in bands know that, uh, you know, road life, uh, life on the road is, is not uh, the easiest, especially when you're, uh, you know, a small band, in our case, a bar band.
So this is my van, Weekend Celebrity. You will get to see us when we come on tour in Ireland in July. If you wanted to let us know, you know, where you want us to play, check us out, Weekend Celebrity LA on Facebook. Cheers. This is Weekend Celebrity. We're live on the red carpet. But it was fun. It was, it was full of lots of adventures. But it's not. It's also not the healthiest lifestyle. I'm the woman whose band he was a part of for the past uh, ten to eleven years has been openly lesbian. Wow, kill them with love? You know, think of that. It's not change them with love. It's not um, disagree with them in love. It's not um, move them with love. It's kill them with love. The entire lifestyle that goes into being a member in a bar band is not a good thing. It's filled with alcohol, fornication, temptation, and your entire purpose is to create entertainment for people that are getting hammered and wasted and trying to find either men or women to pick up at the bar. Not something that God wants anybody participating in. One of the big issues that we see is that Jonathan Rumi doesn't even have a real testimony. His testimony is one of surrender, but not surrender on God's terms. The surrender really came about just due to financial hardship and feeling overworked. It wasn't the surrender of coming to Jesus, realizing that he was a sinner in need of a savior. Because one of the issues is in Catholicism, if you're baptized as a baby, you assume that you have a relationship with God and that you're saved from the moment of that baptism as an infant. And that's just not the way that the Bible says salvation works. So Jonathan Rumi doesn't have a biblical understanding of salvation. Many people who you know come out come out of um, uh, into the into their uh, come out of adolescence and then into their 20s, they start <laughs> sure. like, oh wait, I can go to a bar now on my sure. own. I don't, you know, I can have my own friends that are, you know, apart from my community and like I can, you know, uh, figure out the world and, and uh, explore. And and, uh, and so I would say if anything, you know, it was kind of like, ah, I didn't get to church this week. Uh, yeah. I didn't get to church this month. You know, like there was a little bit of that. 
not really so good. so there was a battle within your own heart for like between you know like almost like a tug of war see but i didn't like, i wouldn't have not I really wouldn't have, i wouldn't have characterized it like that for okay. me it was just like I, w I just wasn't as on fire. Like you believed. I believed, yeah. But, I, I, but it's not I like was, on fire. There was always a. Con I always had a conversation with, right. with God. Like I would talk to Jesus every day. Right. I just didn't understand. I look back. I'm like, wow, that was that was a whole different life for me, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But my faith has always been pretty strong. Of course, in uh, especially in your twenties, um, you know, you you you're you're learning more about the world, you're learning about uh, what it means to be on your own, about what it means to be an adult. And, and um, you know, so I had my share of bars and going out and partying and all that stuff. God was always there. You know, I had a relationship since I, since I was baptized as a baby. You know, like, like most, most people, uh, most, you know, young men living in the city and like, you know, in the, in your 20s and 30s you're you're i think uh, some people test the boundaries of of what their faith means to them more than others i always had my faith but it wasn't uh where it is now and it's live streaming our production of the last days um the passion and death of jesus the christ this is one of jonathan Rumi's friends his name is brian now brian is a open homosexual practicing um, it's all over his Instagram, all over his social media. He promotes it. And so it's really troubling to think that Jonathan Rumi is such buddy-buddies with this guy. Here we have a post by this guy, Brian. He says, I chose the red pill 15 years ago. Today, I honor the God and divine spirit inside me who has a higher purpose for my life and made me as perfectly imperfect as I am. Today, I choose me. What are you choosing to come out about today. And so it's National Coming Out Day and all of these different hashtags where he says gay, gay neo, gay ninja, gay man, LGBTQ. And notice he's right next to a Buddha, a red Buddha. So this guy's in partnership with Jonathan Rumi by participating in the Last Supper uh, play that Jonathan Rumi and his organization put on every year. And yet the guy himself is homosexual, looking to Buddha as inspiration, and considers himself to be a god and to have the divine within him. I'm going to show you an interview that they did together on Brian's home podcast interview show. Yes. Are we here? Yes, you are. Did we survive the rapture? <laughs> I think we're here. You, you, you think this survive, is it? Brian? Huh? We're still here. We're, we're still, still here. here. You know, doing the Passion Play with you the last couple of years really provided the space for me to find community again and find community with other artists and other actors. And you really reignited my love and passion for acting by doing that play. And um, it's uh, emotionally, I mean, I was literally like rock bottom. I had just gotten out of a relationship like six months, four months prior. So mm. I was not in a good place. And I was trying to figure out where I was supposed to be. And I just was literally just at my lowest. 
and I said, you know what, God, I've done everything I can do. I don't know what else you want me to do. I thought I've been listening here these last eight years in Los Angeles. I thought I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open. I'm trying to like do your will for what you want from me. So I don't know, nothing's happened. So if- What do I mean by that? I mean, I was doing everything within my power to make my career happen. I prayed, I had faith, I had expectant faith even, but I was also juggling seven, yes, seven different side jobs. Do you haven't? I thought, you know, Lord, you help those who help themselves. That's what I've been doing, seven jobs. Is that not helping myself? What am I doing wrong? What, what, how much more can I help myself? And I'm still struggling in a way I never thought I would be at this point in my life. So if you want me to keep going here, Lord, you need to step in because I physically can't do it anymore, okay? I'm surrendering it all to you because you said your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So here, you take it, Lord. I'm giving you all my problems and I'm stepping back, man. Work because of various, you know, uh, factors. And I got to the point where I literally, it's like I had you know, a, a, a month's worth of bills and not a single check coming into, you know, my hands within the next week. And I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was literally just broken. Like financially, I was in debt. I was in like in this a really dark place. Um, and, and, you know, I was just struggling. And yeah. I just was angry. And I just couldn't figure out why God would bring me to this place to like struggle like why would you put something on my heart and give me an ability to do something and yeah. then not provide me with the means to do it i'm doing everything i'm supposed to be doing i'm mm -hmm. checking off the boxes I'm, I'm working the side jobs i'm not like looking for handouts i'm being self-sufficient and nothing's happening like even like the catering jobs like nothing was working like i wasn't wow. And now I had a mountain of, of bills ahead of me and I had no idea how I was gonna pay it. And I literally was on my knees. It was a Saturday in May and I was just broken. And I said, you know what, God, I'm done. I'm done like I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. The Lord helps those who help themselves, right? That's what I'd heard and that's what I've been doing. But I'm not getting help. Where's the help, Lord? So at this point, if I'm where I need to be at this point, you need to step in and help because mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it on my own. So yeah. your burdens are light, right? So here you go. I'm just going to push <laughs> all that to you. You take care of it. You got to yeah. step in now because I can't. Less control, I feel. So you know what? If you want me to keep going, you got to step in here now, man. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm done. Notice the demandingness to say, God, I've been trying my best. Come on, man. You're going to have to take it all. That's not really the way that people are supposed to come to God. We're supposed to come to God in humility. And if you notice, there's never a place where Jonathan Rumi comes saying that he repents for not doing things God's way. His mindset is, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. Come on. And now it's like, but now I'll finally surrender. But... You don't just come and surrender without repentance. It's a full package. I mean, what was happening in those years? Was Jonathan Rumi living righteously? Was he living um, unto the Lord? Was he going around and having relationships with women? Was he getting drunk? 
I mean, do you see the picture that's being presented here is a testimony without anything that makes a testimony real and legitimate. So as we examine Jonathan Rumi's life and his portrayal of Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge that there's no real foundation in his personal life for a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's based on his birth as a Catholic and baptism as a baby, and pretty much just trying to be a good Catholic all of his life without ever truly having a born-again experience. And that'll go next good if you can see Jonathan's image of divine mercy. Uh, Jesus said, I want every home to have this image. And so God bless you for following his directive to get this in your home as well as those who are listening. So God bless all of you. I have one on my front door as well to my apartment as well. So really, Jesus said he wants everybody to have this image in his home. What about the idea of not having any graven images? Where does it say in the Bible that Jesus wants us putting up any kind of image of himself in our homes? Uh, Dallas is quite a guy. He comes from a pedigree. Not being Catholic, uh, he was more than willing and open to your Catholic background and your Catholic beliefs and understanding. For instance, the, we talked about the image behind you. Um, when you've done your, um, you know, your stuff on Instagram or your prayers online, people have asked, what is that image? And, and you have an opportunity to teach them a little bit about divine mercy and our Catholic faith. So, God bless Dallas for being able to help us to actually spread this message of divine mercy in a way through you. Uh, so Dallas is quite a man of faith. Notice that the priest says that Dallas Jenkins should receive credit for the spreading of divine mercy. I'm wearing a mantle and a cross with a little crown on it, uh, a knight's cross. Uh, five years ago, I was uh, knighted by the order of the uh, solemn uh, sovereign military order of the temple of jerusalem i lost my mind there for a second um essentially the knights templar which is what that is um, and they asked me to to join their ranks uh, a few years ago may have heard that i also had been honored to begin the process of being inducted as a papal knight which is basically a, an order of knighthood recognized by the pope himself that would be cool if that, you know, when that actually commences into the knighthood. All of these things with secret orders, Knights Templar, different organizations, none of it's of God. God doesn't want Christians participating in these type of things. God wants our hearts devoted and in allegiance to him and to him alone. So this is pretty serious. Jonathan Rumi is a Knight Templar and he's not hiding. It's, it's a clear thing. He has been inducted into that order. And he's currently trying to become a papal knight, somebody that is recognized by the Pope. Finally, he was knighted a few years ago by the Sovereign Military Order of the Temple of Jerusalem and recently nominated uh, for papal knighthood. A lady approached us and she said, I'm a Mormon, but I love praying rosaries with you and Jonathan. You know, because we've done live rosaries before. And she says, I pray them. I pray the rosary now. That's mind-blowing. 
It's mind-blowing. Hearing that, it's like, praise God, it's... Uh, it's that's all over the world. Yeah. And that's from all different walks of faith, you know? It's whether very it's, ecumenical. Yes. Yeah. And so, this is a very serious thing. People of different faiths are coming together around the Chosen. You have Mormons, you have Catholics, you have Protestants. Uh, you have all of these different people coming together and there's a cross-mingling happening. So a Mormon is looking at Jonathan Rumi and saying, Oh, I love this guy. He plays Jesus so well. And now they're going to go out and buy a rosary because Jonathan Rumi is promoting the rosary on his Instagram and on his social media all the time. It started a whole other chain of uh, multi-denominational Christians praying Divine Mercy together now regularly on, I have a fan page, and every hour of the day, they're either praying a rosary or they're praying uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet or a novena. Um, and I'd say 50 to 70%, as far as I know, are led by non-Catholics, which That's is- That's awesome. You know, for you to being able to leave people to Christ, uh, through the beauty of divine mercy. In fact, even if you don't say it to them by word, Jonathan, or maybe, you know, when you don't have a chance to meet them personally, I think it comes across in your character, the way that you embraced Mary and looked into her. And this is why I love what Dallas did, because he was open to that. And that being, you know, the Catholic role of our Blessed Mother is so strong, but yet the non-Catholics got to experience your love or Christ's love uh, for the Blessed Mother, the Catholics have been given special graces. Now we know that, but we want to share that. And this is an opportunity to share God's mercy with everyone. Pray it, if for no other reason, for peace within yourself. And you know what? Jesus says mankind will not have peace until he turns with trust to my mercy. So you just hit it because inner peace, worldly peace, has to start with inner peace. Mm. Notice, if you want peace, pray the chaplet. That's not what the Bible says that brings us peace. The Holy Spirit operating in our lives. Notice how the chaplet is actually taking God's role. You know, what I would say is, if you want peace, run to Jesus. If you want peace, let Jesus find you. Let him into your heart. Stop avoiding him. Stop rejecting him. Stop disobeying him. Jesus is the answer for peace, not, not some rote prayer that was given to a Polish nun in the 1900s by a vision of Jesus. Um, is that it, it's brought me peace. And if you're looking for peace, uh, more peace, inner peace, spiritual peace, start praying the chaplain. That's awesome. We live in a day and age where everything's getting very mixed up and where there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of deception. But if you look at the Catholic Catechism compared to the Bible, it's clear that the Catechism conflicts and contradicts the Bible. That's why in Catholicism they have to elevate church tradition on par with Scripture, which is totally forbidden and totally inappropriate to put something that man creates on par with what God has demonstrated and stated in His Word. So though many Catholics will act like Protestant Christians are on the same team with them, Doctrinally, according to Catholic teaching, that's not the case at all. According to the Council of Trent, anybody that believes, according to the Bible, that it's by grace alone and faith alone, it actually says that they should be damned to hell. So, for anybody that doesn't adhere to the Catholic sacraments, 
and doesn't go and receive the Eucharist and doesn't participate in penance, which is confession, according to the Catholic standard, then your sins cannot be forgiven. You are going to be judged and sent to hell. Psycho killer, kiss kiss to hunker down. We gotta hunker down. And just get to it. Hi, everybody! <laughs> pray hard. Gotta pray hard. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Rosaries, that's chosen season two rosary. This is a special divine mercy rosary for St. Faustina. And there's Jesus. And uh, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus before any of you like, Wait a second, the rosary, you! Ah! No, it's about Jesus. St. Padre Pio, medal right there. See St. Padre Pio. So many of you know Scully. A lot of you that don't know me are freaked out by Scully. But before I do, I have to say a word of thanks to Hallow, who I know you're a fan of as well as me. Mm. Oh, yeah. May have read a couple of sleep stories? Yeah, a couple. A couple. Maybe, maybe doing a couple of things with them coming up again soon. Ah. So We also see a collaboration between Jonathan Rumi and Hollow. Hollow is a Catholic prayer app, and it's a pretty big one. In fact, if you research it a little bit, uh, it's a multi-million dollar prayer app. And so what Jonathan Rumi is doing is he's promoting this app and getting a lot of Christians, a lot of Protestants to participate in these prayers and um, suggesting that, you know, anybody can benefit from it. You don't have to be Catholic to benefit from it. But if you go to the app itself, man, it's filled with Catholicism. It's filled with different things that are totally unscriptural and totally unbiblical. And on top of that, uh, Jonathan Rumi is reading sleep stories. He's praying a lot of prayers. He's even reading the Gospels. So what's happening is people are having their idea and their understanding of Jesus um, be merged with Jonathan Rumi, who is not Jesus. He's a guy with a past who's an actor. You have to remember, actors are good at acting. Many actors would never ever in a million years even be able to demonstrate what they display on the big screen. Whether it be the most secular actor to even, um, you know, a more religious actor like Jonathan Rumi. So in this case, what this is really serious. People's ideas of Jesus and their understanding of Jesus is being merged with Jonathan Rumi and his personality. We're going to see later on that people are even saying when they read the Bible, they visualize Jonathan Rumi and some of the actors. When they pray, they visualize Jonathan Rumi. That's idolatry. That, that's blasphemy to do that. To put a human, a human man in the place of God and in the place of Jesus. And so this is more serious than can even be conveyed in this short video. And with a, a Catholic actor and, and evangelical actors and non-believer actors and crew people and, and awesome. Latter-day Saints and, and all Pentecostals. Like it's a whole smorgasbord, there's Muslim. I mean, it's like, it's a huge family of people that just um, want to tell a really good story. I mean, what's not to love? I 
about the mother of God. She's the only woman in history to be the spouse of God, the mother of God, and the child of God, all wrapped up as one, which is just like, boom. So when you think about that, it's like, how do, how do I not give her honor and reverence? I, I love that I've gotten to, um, you know, grow closer to her these last few years as, uh, as my faith has deepened you. Uh, my favorite thing about being Catholic is our understanding of the Eucharist. I, so many non-Catholics are like, that's great, I love that. And, yeah. and people were like, start saying, started buying rosary beads and, and, and saying divine, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and they're not even Catholic, so. He's another, he's another saint that has been popping into my life over the years and, and dreams and, and like that. So, uh, yeah, I also am very, people know, a lot of people know I'm very partial to St. Patrick Hill as well. Happy birthday, baby Jesus. Says birthday boy for those of you on Instagram, those of you on Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, you can see it. One of my favorite Christmas sweaters. That's a skull. And people that have never seen that before, that's a St. Benedict cross. And these are like chrome, like if I ever got into a, a bad situation, as long as I got my rosary beads, I literally have a weapon with these things. These, these are legit. They're legit and completely legal. So, <laughs> God forbid. Um, so, Memento Mori. If you go to hallow.com slash Jonathan, 30 days free at hallow.com forward slash Jonathan, or just swipe up and it'll take you straight to the app. In her visions regarding divine mercy, Jesus himself said to St. Faustina, proclaim that mercy is the greatest attribute of God. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if there was a divine mercy icon that I could hang in my little apartment made in the style of a Greek Orthodox icon? That would be awesome. I mean, if, if, if that existed, I'd be really holy, you know? This showed up outside my door on top of the mailboxes of the dusty first floor lobby of the building in which I lived. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. But I grabbed this icon as fast as God grabbed my attention in that moment, and it's been with me for 17 years. And so this, this image has become the center of my Divine Mercy prayer time. Those of you who have prayed on Instagram with me will recognize it. Can anyone say idolatry? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Thus the two thieves 
would begin a friendship and working relationship between myself and Dallas Jenkins that is now six years on. So, daily mass, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, confession, receiving the Eucharist, saying the rosary, all of those became essential parts of directing, acting, producing, and the modus operandi of any and all issues. But we know that this isn't true. The Bible doesn't put all these hoops for us to jump through. So the real danger, again, is that you have Jonathan Rumi portraying the authentic Jesus. And in the background, this is who he believes Jesus to be. He believes that the authentic Jesus is the Jesus of Catholicism. And the Jesus of Catholicism has not paid a full, completed um, debt for our sins. He hasn't paid for our sins in full. The Jesus of Catholicism in many ways um, is adherent to Mary and subjected to Mary. Mary is actually even above him in many people's uh, viewpoints. That's why they don't go and they pray to Jesus, they, they pray to Mary. The Jesus of the Bible paid for sins once and for all. In fact, on the cross, what Jesus said when he yelled out, it is finished in the end of John, the word is to tell a story, which means the debt has been paid in full. In Catholicism, the debt has never been paid in full, which is why there's purgatory. You know, my friends, a lot of you have been asking for me to read the scriptures, and I'm here to tell you that now you can hear me reading all four Gospels on Hallow exclusively, with more coming soon. Hallow is the number one app for prayer, meditation, music, and now audio Bible. Hi friends, Jonathan Rumi here to share my newest collaboration with the Hallow app, an amazing prayer and meditation app. June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and I'm excited to be leading the Sacred Heart Novena in Hallow that begins on June 3rd and ends on the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart, June 11th. Towards God, all our prayers are, are, are airlines. This is just one airline versus another airline. It's, it's all going to get there. Do you know what I mean? My mother gave me this little statue. It's called Sleeping St. Joseph. And I, every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, shh, quiet. St. Joseph's sleeping. Don't wake him. He's had a hard day. And it's based on that image there. And it says, Jesus, I trust in you. And you don't have to be Catholic or anything to say them. And a fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus is a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. Why do we pray the chaplet at three o'clock? Because everything he said to do at three o'clock revolved around his passion. And what's the chaplet of divine mercy? About his passion. Amy from Orem, Utah. I am not Catholic, but I started joining your prayer hour on Instagram. I have grown to love the divine mercy <coughs> chaplet. Mm -hmm. it brings me peace. It brings me balance. It, it stills my soul. Uh, and it changes my disposition. Mm -hmm. And, um, and when, Jesus is a part of you, that's what happens. Yeah. And to physically receive that, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a miraculous transformation that we can have the true presence in the, the, the Eucharist. And so why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to feel that sense of peace and that sense of um, just serenity, um, uh, you know, 
George from Seinfeld's uh, phrase comes to mind, serenity now, serenity, serenity now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's kind of what happens, like serenity now. <laughs> Amen. You know, body of Christ. We have a, a, a rabbi who's one of our consultants. We have a Catholic priest, a rabbi, and an evangelical just Jason. priest. Just Jason Sobel. Yeah, yeah we just had rabbi him on yesterday. You had Rabbi Sobel on? Yeah. You're yeah. kidding me. He was great. Ah, oh, he's amazing. He's such a beautiful guy. What he, you talk about that? So, um, Rabbi Jason, I went to Israel with you last year where we visited some of the sites. It was my first time, um, and you did. You went to a healing meeting. Even though you're praying for people that are being healed, you go to a healing meeting, and our friend who's been a guest many times uh, on this show, Bill Johnson, <laughs> is teaching on healing. But somehow you ended up in front and him prayed for you. What happened? And when this shofar sounds, it is going to be released in your life and you are going to see the breakthrough in the name of Yeshua, Jesus. Walls are going to fall. Things are going to open in his name. Jason Sobel is one of the people behind the scenes in The Chosen. He's one of the religious advisors. Now, this guy runs with a lot of false prophets and a lot of false teachers. You're going to see some photos of him with Sean Bowles, a false prophet. He's the guy that said uh, right at the beginning of coronavirus that he went to the throne room and God told him that coronavirus is going to be over very, very quickly. And, you know, it's been like a year and a half, two years later, and nothing has really changed at all. The people that Jason Sobel is getting photos with are spiritually off the wall. Some of them are false prophets, other of them are just extreme hyper-charismatics. And so it's really troubling to think that this is the guy who Dallas Jenkins is looking to for credibility for The Chosen. In this post, he's praising Patricia King, who if you look into her, is clearly a false prophet. And we want to invite you to ring in the new spiritual new year of 5780 with us Sunday night, September 29th. We hope to see you guys there. It's going to be an amazing evening. See you there. That she handed to where, when you wear the scapula, you may know the brown little patch there. That's why it's supposed to be cloth, but if your skin is allergic or whatnot, you can wear the metal. But it's it like a, wool. It's wool. It's yeah. made of the cloth of the Carmelite uh, habit. When you remove the, the veil that pretty much clouds people's minds about Catholicism, you begin to see some really weird and creepy beliefs. There's this idea that if you wear a little uh, piece of cloth, that somehow it's going to spring you out of purgatory um, early if you wear it while you died. Now, where does it say that in the Bible? One, the topic of purgatory and even the place of purgatory is not in the Bible. And two, the idea that wearing a cloth somehow can atone for your sins and purify you is absurd. It's total nonsense and needs to be rejected. Any, any sane person would see that and say, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, he says in John 6 that the flesh profits nothing. What you wear, what you eat, 
does not save you, does not purify, does not take away sin. The only thing that can take away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. It comes with something called a Sabbatine privilege, which meant that after you died, the first Saturday after a person died that wore this scapular, they would be released from purgatory, which is not theology, but it's, uh, it's something that was revealed through uh, personal revelation to uh, St. Simon Stock. Um, so it's not something that is ne- necessary for salvation um, or anything like that. But uh, I guess it's, it's, it's a bonus, can we say? Extra grace. Extra grace. Extra grace is the... What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Because your mind tells you it's a piece of gluten and wafer. It's, you know, but... In your spirit, you know, no, that's, that's Jesus, so. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Reason for anybody's having any kind of experience with Jesus is because, like, when I'm coming into this project, like, that's where I'm coming from. It's like me through this process, which I so love. We call it the source and summit of our life, our Christian life, uh, the Eucharist. Um, and, um, and, and so... Uh, for me, it, I, I can't get much closer than that, you know. Hello, and welcome to this scriptural rosary on the Sorrowful Mysteries. Hello, hello. Oh, that's what I'm forgetting. Hello, Scully. This devotion that that I've become really fond of, called Memento Mori, it's with this skull rings. The skulls are a representative for me. It's a reminder of, um, you know, the death is imminent. Memento Mori means remember that you will die. Remember your death. Oi, what are you doing? It's been quite a long time, it has. I decided to get back into it and pop on him for a moment and say hello. Hello, how are you? Remember me? My name's Scully. Good to see you. Right then, let's get on with it. Well, hello. (laughs) I couldn't resist. If you notice in a lot of Jonathan Remy's videos and his photos, he has skull rings. Now, that's based on a practice called memento mori, which is thinking about your death. But you know, the Bible doesn't call us to think about our death. The Bible calls us to think about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The idea that thinking about my death can make me holy and make me not sin? No. In my own flesh and my own ability, I have no power to overcome sin. But if I think about the reality of what Jesus did on the cross and the power of his resurrection and allow God's very spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in me, that gives me power over sin and power to live holy and righteously. So again, we see Catholicism has all of these weird, crazy beliefs. And so pretty much he goes around with all of these skull rings promoting death. Think about your death. Think about your death. No, we should be saying, think about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is at. Um, They had a physical reaction and, and it's like the logical mind knows that I'm not Jesus. But then the spiritual, the, the spiritual heart recognizes, I think, uh, this uh, kindred energy and, and um, um, uh, you know, um, 
I think that this this leaning and, and yearning towards seeking um, Jesus in the true Christ. This post by Brian Butterfield, who was the photographer that took a lot of the photos that everyone is familiar with when they look at The Chosen, has been one of the most disturbing things that I have seen and read in this project. Jonathan Rumi shared Brian Butterfield's Instagram and Facebook post on his own Instagram. And here we see what Brian Butterfield shared about his experience taking photos of Jonathan Rumi. There's a place where Jonathan Rumi's acting and role of playing Christ is causing people to actually see and experience him as though they were talking to Jesus Christ. That's really not a good thing. He starts off his post saying, Last year I had a life-changing experience. I had the humbling honor of photographing Christ. Throughout the entire post, he doesn't say Jonathan Rumi's appearance. He says Christ's appearance. He goes on to share. He says, quote, I was then told the actor was always in character and to respond to him as if he were Christ. While on set, he remained in character to give respect to who Jesus is. Now, there's something really wrong there to be having people respond to an actor as Christ. So I have to skip around a little bit to get to the main point, but I'm going to continue quoting what he said. At this point, Christ started to look onto me. He kept smiling at me. After the few adjustments, it was just him and me and a few pieces of camera equipment. Everyone backed up and stood behind me. From that point on, all the focus was on Christ and I. As we sat down, he whispered to me to give him a moment. He said something to the effect of, quote, I need to speak to the Father. I backed away. As he stayed in character, I watched as the man bowed his head and began speaking in Hebrew. He prayed. He prayed fervently and raised his head and arms to heaven. Because this is so long, I have to go to key points throughout the, the post, so I'm going to continue. He says, As I raised my camera to my eye, he was looking down and hunched over. A moment later, Jonathan lifted his head and began to cry. Tears started rolling down his cheeks. He stared into my soul. I could see intense pain and suffering in his eyes, unlike anything I have ever seen. The pain was so intense it shook me to the core, but the fascinating part was hope and love that was in the previous smiling photographs had not diminished. I began weeping and trembling. My eyes were so filled with tears at one point I could not see through my camera, and just as I was about to stop because I was getting too emotional, my mind became calm and silent. He then called me by name. In a very small whisper, he said, Brian. He called my name again and motioned for me to come close. I leaned in and with a gentle voice, he whispered, he loves you. With those words, I wept. I took a deep breath. He stood up and gave me a hug. I will never forget. I settled down and I turned around. As I turned around, I had forgotten the 20 plus people in the room. As I glanced around, everyone was crying. Everyone had huge tears in their eyes, and I heard lots of sniffling. I noticed the Kleenex had already been passed around, and I requested some. The room seemed to experience the same emotions I had experienced. We still had a few more poses and looks that we needed, so we started again. Our total time with Christ was scheduled for just over 60 minutes. He goes on to talk about how humanizing the show is with the characters, and how relatable it makes them. Now, this is really concerning. 
this is really troubling to see this photographer seeing Jonathan Rumi as Jesus Christ in his own mind. As I researched the photographer more, I began to see, well, guess what? He's actually a Mormon. So I'm going to show you how I found that out. These are the Mormon Facebook pages that he likes. Phil Wickham, who is a, just an extraordinary voice. He was concerned that if he actually met me in person, you know, that he might hug me just a little too long because there's that <laughs> connection of like sure. the, the Jesus thing. And I, I, I got such a kick out of that. And people will see me when I meet them or, you know, and they'll just either say, you know, like Jesus, you know, or like if, if there is a soul hunger in people for a humanized Jesus, a Jesus mm. that people can relate to. And in fact, one of my, one of my friends uh, told me that she, she loved the show, loves the show and said, she said this, she said, it was the first time I realized he was a real guy. Now this is coming from a Christian, a committed Christian. And, and this is, we've talked about this at length and I've talked about it with so many other people is just how human you are. Like, but for all the talk about taking this role of Jesus so seriously, Jonathan Rumi just announced and celebrated that he's going to be on a show called Washingtonia. And this show is by Stephen Colbert. This show has so much filth and vulgarity in it. I'm going to show you a couple of clips that are in the preview. And thankfully, all of the cursing is muted out. But the humor is vile. And it raises the question, how could Jonathan Rumi be going from playing Jesus to being somebody on this show as well? Congressman West, Tommy, welcome to Washington. I took the liberty of stuffing your desk with blood money and cocaine. I work with someone very eager to meet you. Oh, we already met party leadership. They Is he the goat king? Holy shit. Yes, Gorgonak, our nation's mythical goat king. If any one being could claim authorship over Washington's fucked up history, it is him. Sorry, you wanna buy it? Alright, let's uh let's brass tax this mofo. Now if Joe Biden and his liberal henchmen get their way, they'll turn that slaughterhouse of yours into a transgender-only nightclub. Only the chosen one can save us. The chosen one? Seriously? You ever see the make and Graham, I think it might be you! cool is that? Why me? You got that undefinable, once-in-a-generation quality that makes you special. You're a black Republican. Whoa! I never noticed you in all these paintings. You know, people see what they want to see. Or do you want to be some, like, nobody douchebag who passes bills that improve wages or some bullshit? It's like the logical mind knows that I'm not Jesus, 
but then the spiritual this the spiritual heart recognizes i think uh this uh kindred energy and and um um uh you know um i think this this leaning and and yearning towards seeking um jesus and the true christ and and mm-hmm. and kind of walking the walk in my life. So I do believe that it is plausible that Jesus would have prepared a sermon or would have worked through the best words for it. Is it factual? It is not factual. Am I right? I don't know. But I do believe it's plausible. And I think that I'm right. But I don't know. And because we're doing a show in which so much of the content isn't directly from Scripture, sometimes we're going to make certain assessments and judgment calls that might not be 100% correct. Now, when we're dealing with scripture, it's not enough to say, is this plausible? Many things could be plausible, but that creates a totally open landscape for deception to come in, for wrong things to come in. I don't know if Jesus ever prepared a sermon. I just don't believe it's heretical. I don't believe it's blasphemous. I don't believe that it contradicts the character or intentions of Jesus in the gospel. Uh, Jonathan has taken that character and made him very human and, and likable and exploring these characters from a human perspective. In my opinion, his humanity is what makes his sacrifice so extraordinary and so beautiful. There's this constant theme that what makes the story so incredible is the humanity of Jesus. And really, that's not what makes the gospel so incredible. The thing that makes the gospel incredible is the divinity of Jesus. Yeah, God came in the form of a man, But the reason why Jesus' sacrifice is powerful and special isn't because he was a human. It's because he was God incarnate. So I get really concerned when I always hear Dallas Jenkins say, you know, the thing that makes Jesus' sacrifice so powerful is humanity. The thing that makes this story so powerful, the thing that makes the gospel so powerful is the humanity of Jesus. We can't separate the humanity from this divinity. Jesus' humanity would be unlike anything that we would ever experience. Yes, the Bible says he was tempted and tried like us in every way, but he was without sin. All of us have sinned. All of us have blown every trial, blown every temptation the first time around that they come outside of Christ. So Jesus was fully God. He was perfect. He was sinless. We can't even fathom what that kind of experience of life would be. So when Dallas Jenkins is saying, oh, you know, Jesus probably had to do sermon prep, not true. Two things that kind of were, I don't know if the controversial is the right term, but they caused a lot of buzz was one, the reveal that Melek was the person who was responsible for the story of the Good Samaritan. He had beaten this uh, up this Jew. And obviously, that's not a fact. There's nothing in the Bible about Melek. There is nothing in the Bible about uh, if the story of the Good Samaritan was even true. Making the litmus test whether something is plausible or not is not a good way to ensure that deception or error doesn't come in. Many things are plausible. Many things could have happened. Many things couldn't have happened. Many things maybe did happen or didn't happen. The problem is when we're dealing with the Bible, we're dealing with matters of utmost importance and matters of truth that deal with issues of eternal salvation or eternal damnation. We're dealing with things that are of the very nature and essence of God. And so we can't afford to say, well, you know, it's plausible and be wrong and have error because God is the God of truth. There's no error. There's no plausibility in God. It either is or it isn't. 
Dallas Jenkins is constantly saying that if we can get the viewer to see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, we can get them to be impacted in the same way. Now, here's the difficulty. One, the people that are demonstrated and depicted in The Chosen are not the actual followers of Jesus. It's the imagination and the storytelling of the writers of the show. I look at projects that were in the past with religious projects and it was like super stoic and they have to get everything just exactly right in the Bible. What I love about the scripts, love the problems that humanity brings to each other and I love how how they're able to face it and as they, they look to, to Christ and Christ's there to teach them or by example, that's when they're able to really better themselves and be a better person. And, and I think that that journey, I think, is needed now more than ever before. I think a lot of people need to see that authenticity, but also that everyone has problems. Well, the humanity, we want people, we want the viewer to see that the people who met Christ had the same issues that you do and the same struggles and the same needs and the same hunger. And the solution for them is the same solution for you. And if we can get them to the connect in that way, if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, we say you can be changed and impacted in the same way they were. And if you can really truly connect to those people, then you can connect to the solution. So one, we actually can't get people to see Jesus through the eyes of those who met him. And two, that's not God's will or desire for us. We're supposed to encounter Jesus today in the present. Now, testimony is powerful. And what the Word of God shows is that Jesus can change and affect anybody that comes to him. But I can't read the Bible even or a show about Jesus and say, oh, well, I see that this person did this and did this. No, I have to come to Jesus with my heart. I have to come to Jesus with my problems. So what's happening here is it's almost like a parasitic type relationship where, oh, if I can depict the lives of those that were around Jesus in a way that reaches the viewer or the audience, then they can kind of thrive off of what they encountered or their, their experience with Jesus. I don't think it's even possible to do that, but even if it were, that's a parasitic relationship. Jesus doesn't want me coming to him through another person's experience. He wants me coming to him based on who he is. And then my five-year-old, who is a little bit on the spectrum, we think we've never got diagnosed, but she just said, watching, she's like, Matthew's my favorite. He's like me. Right. Yeah. And uh, we've heard that over and over again from people who say, I'm seeing myself on screen and that Jesus wanted me on his team, wanted someone like me on his team. If, he, if Jesus wanted someone like me on his team like that, he wants me too. Yeah. Yes. And then, of course, more than anything else, the, the man that the show is based on and the man that we've devoted our lives to, Jesus of Nazareth, the answer. And that's what The Chosen is all about, is really making sure that you have the time to identify with these people so that when we get to their big, impactful moments, that they really do mean a lot. And that's the whole key to the show. There's no catch. Just watch it. That's why we, have, we started this Come and See initiative. If we're going to reach a billion people, that's our goal. We want The Chosen to be seen by a billion people around the world. No, this scene depicts it perfectly that this this is what it what it's like to pray to Mary. I think that a lot of times I mean and, and that scene does portray it perfectly. It's like, hey Mary, you're the mother of, of God. Can you ask your son to to do this for us, please? <laughs> <laughs> your kid can help us out in a big way. <laughs> ask 
costume. Yeah. This production, which focuses on the ministry of Jesus, is working to bring people of different Christian denominations together. The response from around the world has been remarkable, making The Chosen the number one crowdfunded media project of all time. Inspired, we've had uh, several people always coming on the same thing, is I see his empathy in your eyes. They, it's time and time again with, with just, it, and that comes from within. That is a gift from him, no doubt about it. Absolutely. I, I would not argue on that point with you. Uh, I think the core of these devotional books and the core of each entry that we do is finding the connection between us and these people who lived 2,000 years ago. But you found the connection, which was Herod's motivation for doing some really awful things is on a larger scale similar to what our motivations are for doing things. And maybe we don't, you know, uh, execute one of Christ's heroes uh, today, <laughs> yeah. but the motivations are sometimes the same. It's a drastic fear of what others think of us, a drastic desire to people please. And that's what you found uh, as you were digging into Like this. so many, uh, we don't identify with their bio necessarily, but we can always identify with their predicament. It's extreme grasping to try to find the similarities between us and Herod who killed John the Baptist. And that's the danger with all of this stuff. It's trying to find things that are not there. The Bible doesn't mention Herod for us to look at him and figure out how are we like Herod and how, how can we relate to him and not make the same mistakes that he made. Really, it's there in order for us to just understand the story of the gospel and to see what happened in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Not for us to try to find every way that we can relate to every character mentioned. That's really a stretch. What stood out to you uh, as something that you thought, that's either more closely Catholic, for lack of a better term, uh, than what I normally see in Jesus projects, or that's less Catholic than if it would have been made by someone other than an evangelical? One of the ways that Catholics pray with scripture and this came from St. Ignatius of Loyola, is to read scripture and read it a couple of times and then to engage it with imagination and to uh, really sit in med a meditative state and put, try to put yourself in the scene uh, so that you can imagine the characters. And the Ignatian style of meditation would invite one to listen, imagine what you'd, what you'd hear, what you'd taste, what you'd smell, what you'd right. touch. So you use the term imagination, and that's something that I think evangelicals traditionally are almost scared of. Evangelicals tend to be distrusting of imagery. Uh, we sometimes confuse it with idolatry. Um, I have been with evangelicals where we've walked into some of the most beautiful basilicas in the world, and I, as an artist, have been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I've had other evangelical friends say, this, is, this feels wrong. This feels too much of an attempt to try to be beautiful but there's nothing beautiful in the world. It's all evil. It's all sinful. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but imagination is something that evangelicals sometimes are, are scared of almost. It's like, no, we've got to stick to the words. The words are what matter. And I really love what you just said about uh, this idea of when you're meditating on it, that you're imagining how it could have felt. And I think that's something that we really strive to do in this series is when I want people to feel, taste, smell. I want it, you know, feel the dust. I want it to, I want it to feel like what it must have been like back then to a point. Obviously, there's, there's limits. But I've heard from people who, uh, when they hear about the show, say, well, Revelation says to not add to Scripture. 
And so we are uncomfortable with the fact that you are adding to Scripture. And, and Father Duffy may be okay with imagination, but there's no need for it because you have the Bible, and I'm just going to stick to the Bible. Why is it okay, if it is, uh, to ignore what John said in the book of Revelation and add to some of these stories with some backstory? Well, you're certainly not attempting to add another book to the Bible. 100% correct. Uh, yeah, and the, the people who... Uh, only want to read the Bible won't be watching this series. Right. So, so th you don't have to worry about those kind of complaints. Right. The new sweatshirt that we are debuting. We have a sweatshirt. We have a T-shirt. We have a long sleeve shirt. We heard you. And so, if you can binge on shows like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or Stranger Things, certainly you can binge on Jesus. But just like last time, if you enter the discount code, the chosen 12, all one word, the chosen, the number 12, you will get 12% off. If you buy two or more, you're not going to get it. If you if you try to buy one shirt and you, and you, and you're trying to enter the discount code and it's not working, don't complain. One thing that has to be brought up is that every single live stream, Dallas Jenkins is a marketer. He's promoting all of the merchandise for the chosen. And if you've ever watched it, and I've watched so much of it in researching, it's this t-shirt, this sweatshirt, this hoodie. So what we really have is a business that is marketing itself as a ministry. Now, that's dangerous. You should never have business and ministry merged together. You know, in fact, when we see that happening, Jesus went and overthrew the tables of the money changers. And in certain ways and in modern ways, the chosen is entirely doing the exact same thing. It's taking the message and the person of Jesus Christ and merging him with a business movement, a movement that's really at the end of the day, all about making a profit. Because the reason why all of these shirts and devotionals need to be sold is so that the chosen can succeed. A lot of the chosen devotionals and a lot of the books actually are written by Dallas Jenkins, his wife, their friend, and Dallas Jenkins' father. So it's all bringing money to the family. And that's despicable. So if you wanted to make a business and do that, that's fine. But what's happening is people's understanding of Jesus and their spiritual affinity and, and love for the gospel is being merged with the chosen. And so the chosen is piggybacking off of people's love for God and their spirituality to sell them things about Jesus and about the chosen. And it's really not good. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that God's heart is broken over the marketing of the gospel. The gospel is free. And it's not meant to be merged with any kind of business or business model. TheChosenMerch.com Yes, that's where you can get this shirt and that sweatshirt. Right now, tonight, Livestream10 is the discount code when you go to order. For tonight only, this is just for right now in this, uh, during this live stream. If you're watching this in the future, this will not apply. I apologize. But this uh, uh, zip-up, also 20% off tonight uh, at TheChosenGifts.com www.thechosengifts.com okay pay it forward is the means by which two things are going to happen one we are going to reach our goal to reach a billion people around the world okay game of thrones is one of the top shows of all time game of thrones 
was seen by over a billion people around the world. And get the DVDs. I will talk about those in just a minute. That's why we have a 15% off sale right now at www.thechosengifts.com. www.thechosengifts.com. Look who wrote it. You know who that is? That's my dad. My dad's the author of the Left Behind books. I know you might have heard of those or read them. And uh, this is based a novel based on season one of it. It's just for this live stream for these 24 hours. Uh, for all of our merch, all of our gifts. I don't want to say merch anymore. It's not merch. It's gifts at www.thechosengifts.com. This is the first chosen devotional. Okay, and this is the second chosen devotional, book two. And the, this goes even deeper. So this is our Bible study. This is our, we call it our interactive Bible study. Uh, this is called, What Does It Mean to Be Chosen? This, is, of course, is the special edition DVD or Blu-ray. Um, telling you it's a collector's item. It's significant. You got to get it. And uh, the chosen novel, my dad, the author of the Left Behind books, Jerry Jenkins, wrote this season one. I have called you by name based on season one. The novelization gives you even deeper because you can get into the characters' thoughts. You can get into some of more of their backstories we couldn't get into the show and the children's book. But I want to take a very quick break. You know, the hoodie that I'm wearing right now, our best-selling hoodie at thechosengifts.com, www.thechosengifts.com. Yay! You can just look in the app, how to pay it forward. Uh, there are certain perks for certain levels, and if you are, uh, I think it's like $2.99 or higher, you get the perk of early access. You get to watch the episodes before everyone else. So, thechosengifts.com, www.thechosengifts.com.